0: What's going on, guys, and welcome back to a very special episode. Uh, You know this, guy. I'm not going to have any long, drawn-out introductions, but uh, it's good to be back on a podcast. It's good to be back uh, chatting to you. Sam, how are you, mate?
1: I'm great, man. It's an honor to be here. I know I've said this before in posts and on previous podcasts, but to give praise yet again where it's due... I probably wouldn't have started my podcast if it wasn't for you. And I probably wouldn't even started going on other people's podcasts. Also, if it wasn't for you, because you were the first person to ask me on as a guest. And then one of the first people to push me to have my own. So I'm excited for this per usual. Is yours coming back? What, I mean, I I know we've
0: spoken about it. Yes, no, no, yes, off air. Yes. But uh, where are you at kind of maybe bringing it back or not?
1: It's definitely not high priority. Like it's not you know, quite honestly, it's not at the top of the docket right now, if I did bring it back, which isn't out of the question, it's just something meaningful What had to change, um, whether it's a little bit more variety in the topics, whether it's uh, potentially shorter episodes and going a little bit deeper on whatever the topics are. Uh, I just got to the and obviously, you and I have talked about this off air, where, you know, 50 something conversations that largely revolved around protein for over an hour, you know, there are only so many ways we can come at that topic. And uh, I wish that was more hyperbole, but that is the case with a lot of fitness s podcasts. And when I created it, Transformation Talks, I had non fitness transformations in mind too. So two of my favorite episodes were uh, one of my tattoo artists and my Portuguese tutor, because those things I could kind of kind of come at transformation from a different way. Uh, so in short. Not out of the question, but something meaningful would have to change, I think, just to make sure it's uh, more enjoyable. Not that I didn't have fun with it, of course, yeah. but just more sustainable, you know, not just protein sets, reps, wands, protein <laughs> sets, reps, wans. It's just it's a little tricky.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I posted the um the question box the other day saying, I'm doing a podcast, Sam and I are getting back on, kind of thing. I had a, a lot of personal messages come to say, oh my God, does that mean you're bringing your podcast back? Are you and Sam doing a podcast together? Like, oh my God, this is so exciting. And it's so, like, no, Sam and I just haven't chatted since we had the, um, the retreat. We're just having a catch up mm-hmm. and I thought I'd hit record on it um, from there. But, um, but yeah, I do get questions once or twice a week of, I miss your podcast. Is it coming back? And it's, it's lovely to hear. And I don't want to kind of just push that thought um, aside that you know, people did enjoy what I was saying. Even though, as you said, I was 246 episodes, I think,
1: deep. Yeah, you were in way deeper than me, yeah.
0: <laughs> and for the vast majority of those, they were fat loss, fasting, weight like all those kinds of things. And there's some interesting things to be said and conversations to be had, but there's only so many you can do. And so, to your point, I was the same. Was like, I can't keep talking about this, even though I know people are enjoying it who have listened to every 240 plus episodes and like i love that you love this but how are you still entertained like i, I just I, I wouldn't want to personally listen to a podcast yeah. that's saying the same thing in roundabout ways kind of thing but i love that people are entertained by it but um but yeah I'm, I'm i was just a bit over it but it's good to be chatting to you again because as i said we haven't had time to catch up so um if we and can get i've even on.
1: thought about Coming at it almost the way we are now, where I, I don't necessarily commit to, I know most people do weekly and then listeners expect weekly podcasts, but I've even thought about, um, you know, what if it was monthly? What if it was bi weekly? And again, not necessarily hyper fitness specific. Yes, that's, you know, mostly what's in my wheelhouse, but branching out a little bit where, um, like avoiding the all or nothing, where either I am doing no podcasts at all, or I'm pumping out an episode every week, perhaps there is something in the middle where once a month, they bring a guest on maybe that I met, you know, while traveling, who owns a business that has nothing to do with fitness, or, you know, um, I'm so interested in kind of like the, this is a random example, because I saw stand up comedy last night, like the mechanics, like, yes, it's funny, and it's entertaining, but. How do you go from witness as a comedian witnessing something in public and then turning that into a bit and you know, all the at bats mm-hmm. at all the local comedy clubs before it becomes a Netflix special? Like, that's fascinating to me. So, that, again, that example is just top of mind because I went out to uh, see some stand up last night, but um, yeah, not out of the question. So, we'll see.
0: I missed the opportunity to see Andrew Schultz here, he's by far my favorite comedian. Uh, at the moment I just love his crowd work and the way he kind of goes about his comedy um, I'm a big fan of his podcast as well flagrant um, but yeah just the way it works. because obviously my life it, it's flexible when it is but it's very inflexible when it's not with Amy being away um, on site and she just happened to be away he did two shows in Perth as well no one ever comes to Perth because it's it's in the middle of nowhere kind of thing um, so the fact that he came over here and he sold out two shows um, is obviously a testament to Um, how incredible he is worldwide kind of thing. Uh, But just both shows, unfortunately, were when Amy was away. And so I just couldn't get to it. But um, I would love to have seen him. He's he's a big...
1: All the more reason for you to come to New York City because he performs here. It seems like virtually every night. And uh, you always know when he's performing because when you look up last minute tickets, the shows are always sold out when he's here. But if you were to just come to New York for a week, you'd have (laughs) at least four or five opportunities to see him. Well, he's doing his big world tour at the moment with the the current...
0: Special he's got, which is called the Life Tour. Um, so that's his big show that he's doing because he's traveled. He did all of Europe with it. He did most of the Middle East with it. He did all of Australia um, with it. And I think he even went to New Zealand and now he's coming back. And so I think most of next year is him doing that same tour around America. Um, so, yeah. I- it would be lovely. Have, have you got a conference or something I can attend if I can write it off on business or something? I'll put one together. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put one together. Um, yeah, it'd be good. But um, but yeah, I guess to kind of, I guess, catch up, like, you know, what's been life? What, what have you been up to kind of post-retreat uh, since we last saw you?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of what the latest is. I mean, from, a, and here I am saying avoiding fitness talk, but briefly I'll tap into fitness for a second. Um, from like a business perspective, I think the biggest change since the retreat is um, now offering programming again for clients. As you know, I niche down in nutrition only. Sorry for all the um, noise in the background, by the way. I think it's like a chopper outside the apartment that just drove away, so it should be good now. But um, uh, yeah, biggest change offering programming again, as you know, and perhaps some of the listeners, I did nutrition only for uh, two years and change. And uh, I just got to the point where uh i don't know if it's the control freak in me or what and i would see people either like not working out because they didn't have accountability specific to that or they were but maybe not in the highest yield stuff where i was just like all right i'm gonna roll this thing out again and kind of take the reins um so that's been super fun um i mean my own training is go ahead sorry
0: i was gonna say what was the why did that change come about originally why did you get away from programming and kind of niche down just to nutrition in the first place
1: I think because the vast majority of people, not I think, the vast majority of people who are coming to me, I know similar to you, like, hey, I'm interested in losing weight. And to that, I would always say, okay, great, working out plays a role in that. But the biggest needle movers exist, technically speaking, outside of the gym. Obviously, nutrition is the main driver. uh, And then your ability to manage stress and your sleep quality and all that good stuff. Um, So I think I almost went, not that it's inherently bad choice. Like I, I, I would definitely consider niching down to nutrition again at some point but I think I almost overemphasized life outside of the gym a little too much uh, to the detriment of the emphasis in the workout side of things. So now I think I'm just riding the ship a little and ending up somewhere back in the middle where, yes, if you come to me and you have a weight loss goal, your workouts at most make up two to 4% of your week. So it's the other 95 plus percent that really uh, move the needle. Uh, But there's a quote that I really like that I don't know who I... it from but it's not mine uh, that uh, workouts are the glue that holds everything else together um so i think you've shared a similar sentiment before where if you just look at you know say on the retreat uh, um what month was that september right yeah september like you know if we go on a hike as a group in the morning you know we get that physical activity in we're gonna feel less stressed we're gonna sleep better at night we're more motivated to make a healthy food decision after etc so yeah technically speaking life outside of the gym that's the vast majority of the equation, but workouts do tend to be the catalyst for people that um, as that quote goes, holds everything together.
0: It's the reason I kind of lead with that question is because in the back of my mind, my, obviously my own journey with my own kind of weight and training and things I've been doing, I've been taking a, a much more relaxed stance on calories in calories out of late cause I've just had enough of not only talking to it with clients, but talking to it for myself Um, kind of point of view. And I've kind of just come to the conclusion. Now, obviously, there's limits to it. I I can't be 100 kilos and morbidly obese and kind of like, I don't care what my calories are kind of thing. But me carrying probably seven, eight extra kilos when I'm super active, I've been feeling like my health, mental, physical, as well as my ability just to live my life in a much less stressed way has actually been such a net positive for me, even though, and this is a a continuing work in progress, even though I have days when I, you know, obviously I get naked to have a shower and then I see myself in the mirror, I'm like, I'm a bit more podgy than i would like. For the most part, I don't care because I feel really strong, really healthy, really fit. But then of course the typical, we're all vain, we're all human, we all kind of look at ourselves, oh God, I wish I looked a bit better kind of thing. But then I kind of think back about the conversations I had with myself when I was in quote shredded and seven, eight, nine, ten 10 kilos lighter than I was now, I can still remember having those conversations with myself. Like I can remember even at that point where everyone, I don't say everyone, but everyone would say, no, you're in great shape. I was still sitting there going, geez, I'm a bit podgy here. So I don't know if that's just an inherent thing in all of us where, no matter where we get to, and maybe there's a message and a moral of the story in this for everyone listening, Definitely. in that no matter where you get to, there's probably going to be some some level of unhappiness to it. And so I guess maybe directing where you put your energy to, um, to and that's to kind of come full circle in that I've just been yeah. hammering the gym and my running and my surfing so much over the last, I'd say, 18 months, two years, to the point where I've never been stronger in the gym. I can definitely say I've been better at running in my life, but that's just purely because I'm carrying more weight. You, you can't run as fast at 10 kilo. I like to you know, imagine someone putting a 10 kilo backpack on sure, and say, yeah. try and go run at the same pace. It's never going to happen, but I feel good in my running. I feel good in the surf and I feel good in the gym. I'm going to take my wins where I can. And yes, there's a downside where you know, I feel a bit podgy, but again, I kind of think back 10 kilos ago, I was still thinking I was podgy. So I kind of sit there and kind of weigh it up and go, I'd rather have a bit more flexibility and just enjoy my training more.
1: Per usual, there are like nine things I want to jump on there, but I'm going to hone in on two specifically. Um, I think you make a great point about how even when you're leaner, it's like the goalposts keep moving no matter what. Um, Oh, the name for it, uh, the arrival fallacy. I'll be happy when, as soon as things are like this, and then you get there and you're like, nah, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And don't get me wrong. I think a lot of people, um, especially um, most of the people that we've worked with historically, would see a meaningful increase in their quality of life if they get at least a little bit leaner and healthier. I think that applies to most people. Then you reach that point where that ROI is not as meaningful. Um, And as you know, I'm training for my first uh, physique competition right now. What I find interesting about that is... I look at the men and women who step on stage and I go, Oh, okay. You guys all look like Greek gods. Like I would absolutely trade places with you in a second. You guys look incredible. And then you see them agonizing. And I say this, not from a place of judgment, just more curiosity and observation. They're agonizing over like their mid delt to rear delt ratio. like, So something that I might look at now and not scoff at, but go, you look incredible. Like what, for all I know, when I get to that point when I'm staged lean, I'm going to be that guy who's like, oh, my inner pecs aren't as developed. So uh, my point being to echo what you said, Adam, I I do think it's easy for that goalpost to keep moving. And then the other thing I want to kind of highlight, because I think there's another little lesson in here is how you're being so patient with this current season of life and getting a feel for it and not... Just quickly d- jumping headfirst back into a diet every moment that you're even a little bit uncomfortable, which is, I think, a way that most people live their entire lives. Like, ooh, I gained a kilo, like throw me back in a calorie deficit. I feel a little off today. Calorie deficit. And then that's how you get stuck in that yo-yo thing. So yeah, I, those are the, I mean, there are a thousand directions I want to go here, but those are the two that come to mind is that um, keep in mind that the goalposts will pretty much always move and then not making decisions too rashly, especially when it comes to dieting, because it is a stressor.
0: But I didn't want to kind of highlight the fact that you're kind of in a bit of a prep phase yourself. Cause I wasn't too sure whether
1: you're, I know. I you haven't, spoken, I haven't shared it too, you haven't too really much. Shared it too you much yeah. it That's fine. That's fine.
0: My, my question kind of comes because I've seen this happen from other people I've worked with or colleagues or kind of witnessed on it through that process is that not to kind of go the extreme, but I'll use the wording just for, for argument's sake yeah. is that body dysmorphia is really prevalent in the physique world because people get that perception of well i've been three percent body fat on stage so me at ten percent body fat i'm a fat heifer like uh, you know how are you worried about that at all or you you have good confidence in who you are and kind of what your ability will be to kind of once you get to that crazy lean stage where as you said the general public look at that and go oh my God, these guys are great goddesses and gods kind yeah. of thing on stage. Are you worried about the kind of back end of that that you ne- you always compare yourself back to that when you kind of come off it?
1: That's a great question. Uh, I think one, I'm working with a coach who's phenomenal. And uh, I think an important thing to point out here is that I've also hired him in advance for the months following my competition because that's the territory where a lot of people, as you mentioned, struggle mentally when they start to creep away from their stage weight. Your stage leanness, people. Um, I mean, again, like you mentioned, the body dysmorphia stuff, the relationship with food often gets really screwed up. Uh, hormonal stuff comes into play when you're that lean, et cetera. So I already feel more confident navigating this, being that I have a coach in my corner who's an expert with this stuff. Uh, on top of that, I think I have uh, very clear expectations into herb. I'll rephrase that a little bit. I know that I can't reasonably walk around at five to 8% body fat from a health perspective, from a lifestyle perspective, from a performance perspective. It's just, it's either physiologically not in the cards or psychologically far too taxing. So I I mean, maybe things will change and I'll wrestle with it more when I see myself on stage, but now in advance, I know okay, the goal isn't to maintain that. It is a snapshot in time. You get on stage, you present, you know, your months and months of training the best you can. And then you phase back out to something at least mildly more sustainable. So I feel pretty good about it for now. Uh, That said, I'm sure most people do before they actually wrestle with it firsthand. But uh, to go back to my first point, I think having a coach in my corner uh, will definitely help me navigate that. And there are things I know I'm going to miss out on as I get leaner and leaner above all else. Um, Consistent predictable strength gains. I'm not saying you can't get stronger when you're in a deficit, but when you're like weeks out from a show and pretty depleted, you're probably not putting 400 something pounds in your back and then adding weight every single week or 200 kilos, I should say. <laughs> um, and then, you know, in terms of like muscle gaining capabilities, can you recomp a little bit? Yeah, but close to a show, it's more about uh, like more muscle retention than anything and just hanging on to everything you developed. So I also think what will make it easier is me looking forward to the things I'll be getting back when I send my weight in the other direction and I start adding food back to my plate. Like, no, I won't be completely diced with veins in my abs, but I get to add, you know, more plates to the end of the bar. And, you know, I get to feel like I actually have a pump most of the time and all that stuff that I'll be missing out on immediately prior to the show.
0: And that that kind of leads me to where I was, I was then heading with my next kind of thought is it with me adding or having more flexibility with the amount of calories I'm eating at the moment, I feel so strong in the gym. Like every single session I've got energy to burn and I'm sitting there waiting. It's like, I can't wait. Today's chest, what I'm going to put on the chest today. And today's my deadlift day. What am I going to, you know, kind of things like that. Have you already seen some teetering off from that? Has there been a decrease in your performance where you are now? Are you not too strict yet before it kind of really ramps up in the new year?
1: That's a phenomenal question because I'm finding this process very interesting because I trust my coach wholeheartedly and I'm just doing what he's saying. And I feel, and as somebody's listening to this, I have, let me backtrack a little. I feel super fat. And I say that not in like a body dysmorphic kind of way where I know objectively I'm not fat and I don't have any emotional attachments to that word. I view it in a view, uh, a very neutral way. When I say I feel fat right now, I mean, the amount of fat I'm carrying relative to where I feel like I should be at this point in prep. But the reason I say I trust my coach is because uh, he's telling me it's not time to turn on the jets yet. So I'm, you know, I'm 10 weeks out, but I don't feel like I'm dieting that hard, maybe by some people's standards, but certainly not bodybuilding physique standards. So I definitely think my hardest days are still ahead of me. And again, I want to emphasize I'm not being self-deprecating. I know you feel the same way about the word fat. It's like a, it's a neutral thing. It's excess energy. So I'm not, you know, sitting here bashing myself, but I feel fatter than what I guess I thought I should be at this point. But uh, yeah, he's saying pump the brakes. Basically you turn that bigger deficit card or adding cardio cards as, as late as possible. So check back with me in a month. I'm sure I'll be pissed about my lifts, but for now it's okay.
0: Well, it kind of then brings me back to obviously when we met, at the retreat you said before you even got there look i'm in this kind of phase i'm not going to be able to just go ham on whatever we kind of have i'm going to try and bring some foods that will kind of make sure i get my protein in and and you did that for the most part but i also feel that if you don't get on stage the way you want to i'm probably to blame because (laughs) we made you eat a bucket load of tim tans and a whole other things that we had sashed up in our in our little retreat uh, away from the retreat but uh, i kind of just coming full circle on that are you? I remember saying when, or you saying when we left the retreat that you know there's 226 days, and like you, you had an exact number, you had it in your head until the um the you know the show. You know that you're going to be dialed in now for 242 of those days. Have you been able to kind of just get back into it, and you are just
1: dialed in? Nope, nope. And I'll be totally forthright in saying that I have, I overestimated my ability to be close to 100% adherent. I think my mistake, and this was prior to me hiring my coach, so shocker, I'm doing better with guidance, um, is that I started dieting too far out. My initial plan was to have a stint to dieting, enter a maintenance phase, and then another stint of dieting. What I should have been doing is hanging out at maintenance a bit longer and having one kind of final stint that was a little bit more aggressive. That way, my total time dieting, which obviously I'm talking physiological dieting, but they're also the psychological considerations. I should have turned that card a little bit later because I did have um, quite a few days and quite a few weeks between September at the retreat. And now we the recording this in uh, December where, you know, the, the net result for the week was not in line with my goals. Um, but that's to tell you the truth. Part of the reason why I even signed up for this competition is I've gotten down to, you know, 12% body fat a bunch of times, pretty much every time I diet, which I don't live in a chronic state of dieting, but, you know, every year or two, I say, all right, let me tighten things up a little bit. So this stuff doesn't get too far away from me. I get down to 12 without doing anything drastic. Now I am fortunate in that I'm over six feet tall. I, you know, I have a little bit of muscle. I walk over 10,000 steps a day. So, you know, I can be a little bit more flexible, but I've never gotten over that next hump to that stage lean of again, five, six, seven, eight percent body fat. And for what it's worth, this is a bit of a side tangent. I know lots of people take, whether it's an in body scan or, uh, you know, water displacement, they, you know, never mind calipers and every guy, guys in particular, like to walk around thinking they're all 7% body fat. I can tell you right now, and I know you know this, Adam, you can pretty much double whatever number people think they are. Um, and I say that not to sound salty, but again, what what's required to get to 12% and what's required to get to 6 to 8% are very, very, Different things. Room for error pretty much goes out the window. So, in the coming weeks, you know, I'm having to think twice about oh, do I have that extra banana that's 150 calories? Now, am I saying a banana and isolation is going to make or break my results? No, but constantly negotiating and justifying, oh, well, it's just a banana over the course of multiple weeks and then multiple months is exactly why I've never gotten to that next territory of leanness. So, um, much more succinctly, no, I have not been as adherent as I wanted to be or thought I could be. Uh, I'm trying to not beat myself up for that and kind of learn from that and then lean into, all right, dude, like, this is the reason you wanted to do this more as a mental test than anything, just to, um, you know, see how far you could push things at least temporarily. And then maybe I do it. Ideally, I'm proud of what I present on stage, even if I come in 10th place, just because I knew I gave it my all. Wonderful. I can phase back out to some other stuff, but it's, uh, it's tricky, but the coaching is making a big difference now.
0: I know we rib on uh, Tom time and time again, uh, just how <laughs> insane he is with his level of consistency on what he does. What, I mean, even while we're on that retreat, you know, you and I would have moments where, oh, it's a bit time to relax. Yeah, cool. We'll just chill out while we're here. He'd, no, I've got I got half an hour free. I'll go and put out 40,000 steps <laughs> in workout kind of thing. I, I mean, I, I could obviously ask him on a podcast and like, you know, what drives him for that consistency and what keeps him there. But for you, I'll ask it the opposite way. What was it then over the, since the retreat when, you know, you had said to me and Tom that, yeah, I'm going to be dialed in from here. What was it that made you fall off those half dozen times or however many times it was that I'm not following through with what I said I would even though I know I've got an, an end point that you are actually working towards?
1: Yeah, I think, again, starting the diet a little too early. Numerically speaking, I was fairly far ahead of the game of where I needed to be in terms of leanness. So I think it, I don't know if you ever did this in school. I did it all the time. You start the semester with an A and then your next paper, you get a B. And then you start doing that math of like, well, oh, I could still get a C and pass. And then you get to the final paper of the semester and you're like, if I get a 57, I'll still pass the class. And you start kind of, again, you negotiate, you justify a little bit. So I think I started with that proverbial A where I'm ahead of the game, I'm getting pretty lean pretty fast. And then I was in this middle ground territory where because of that, I could have a bit of a splurgy week and say, oh, well, I still have 20 weeks. Oh, I still have 19 weeks. And then all of a sudden the weekly demands became not 0.7 pounds per week. So I guess what half a kilo or a little bit less, all of a sudden it became, okay, a little bit closer to you know 0.75 kilos. And then, oh shit, now I have to lose a kilo a week. And then it wasn't until fairly recently where I'm like, oh, okay. I've officially run out of like fuck around room. Like I, I, there is, I either show up on stage fatter than I should be, or I follow through with this thing. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, recent weeks, things have definitely, um, I've tightened things up quite a bit, but I, again, to answer your question more directly, I think it was because I was ahead of the game. I started getting a little too cutesy with, you know, making things fit and negotiating and I still have 18 weeks. I have 17 weeks. And before you know it, you know, I have a little countdown on my fridge. It's like 60 something days out. And then I look down at my stomach. And again, I say this not in a self-deprecating bad body image way, just relative to physique standards. And I look down at my stomach and I go, oh, <laughs> I'm like, to figure this out. <laughs> and um, and I guess to come back to training,
0: Are you, as you said, you haven't pulled on the kind of XX or extra cardio. Is, is now, has your training changed in any way, shape or form? Are you still sticking to the program you always kind of had, you know, yeah legs, push, pull, you know, whatever that kind of might be. Has there been major changes in that from now getting the coach on or is it pretty much still the same?
1: Yeah, the training, I'd say the big difference, and this could be a podcast episode in itself, so I'll try to keep it brief, but, you know, with a background in powerlifting and strongman, I've always been so conditioned mentally to train movements, not muscles. So when I lie down underneath a bar to bench press a weight, historically, I've always thought of it as exactly that. I am training a bench press. I'm training an upper body pushing movement. So I'm trying to engage, um, of course, my chest and my triceps, my front delts are involved and you know, try to squeeze my lats and all these things because I'm training a movement. It's performance-based. Now, with more physique-specific goals, when I lie underneath, I don't actually bench as frequently now, and that's the whole exercise selection conversation. But now if I get underneath the bench, I'm training chest So that dictates, you know, everything from your joint angle. Maybe my elbows are a little bit more flared to my pace, to whether or not I'm using pauses, tempo, you know, rep selection, reps in reserve, uh, proximity to failure, all these other things. So I'd say, To summarize, that has been the biggest shift is when I'm choosing exercises and setting up my program, I'm doing it with muscularity in mind. And yes, I'm still trying to get stronger on these movements because you have to to see the results you're after. But it's been a big mental shift of, okay, when I choose, say, an upper body pulling exercise, I might choose a machine row. And wear lifting straps so my grip doesn't give out first, so I can really feel my lats rather than a chin up, or perhaps when I get tired, my arms take over a little bit more. So the training has definitely shifted. Um, My current gym in New York is uh, their tagline is uh, they're the last bodybuilding gym in Manhattan, which has been wonderful. Cause I, I mean, one the equipment availability is insane, but you walk around and you see people who make me look like I've never lifted a weight in my life. And I don't feel discouraged by that. I feel encouraged. I go, wow. Like these people look incredible. Let me try to kind of do what they're doing. Let me see what I can learn here. So uh, training has definitely shifted. It's interesting. You bring up
0: that kind of uh, joint angles and things like that. There's a couple of I guess you'd call them bodybuilding type um, pages that I kind of follow or kind of look on. And historically they've always spoken about such minute changes in how you might do a row or something. It's like, Oh, if I rotate my body here, I get more stretch on my lap. And so then I get more. And I've always personally looked at that because I'm from you. It's I look at more of a, as a movement rather than can I get every, you know, fiber of the muscle aligned correctly. So it's hitting it correctly. So it'll build in a certain way. So it'll look more, all of that. I've always looked at that historically and gone, Ugh, what a waste of time. <laughs> like, and I, t- I tend to scroll past it kind of thing, but it's interesting of late. I've been looking at it a bit more just because I'm getting a little bit bored in the gym, even though I'm making progress, I'm like, oh, I'm a bit bored of just getting underneath the bench again. How could I change up the bench? So I'm just thinking about it differently. So, there's a bit of a mental stimulus rather than same old gym under I go kind of thing and it's been interesting to kind of if as I said I tuck my elbows a little bit more or I use a a cable and I pull it from down to up or up to you know just kind of thinking about it in different ways I'm not thinking about it this will change the way my muscles look but it's just been interesting to kind of think about it in different ways to how you kind of lift i haven't gone down the, the rabbit hole of adding in pause or changing my tempo or different things like that at the moment but just changing the angles how differently it does feel to move a weight and i guess to come back and ask you like have you felt your strength in different ways like how, how has that been changed how you lift or how now that you as said your mindset's differently around how you move the the weight
1: Yeah, that's another phenomenal question. And just to briefly touch upon what you mentioned mentally, one thing I do enjoy about this whole process is feeling like a beginner again. And now I've I've been lifting for 15 years, but I'm still walking into the gym making adjustments and quote unquote, trying to figure out how to lift. So I do think from a, um, just like a cognitive perspective, a little bit of novelty and coming in and, um, you know, recognizing that and, you know, this current season of life, this is what I'm prioritizing. And I don't doubt that, Um, Yeah, my buddy, Matt, uh, who lives in London, I I think you're familiar with him, at least from afar. You know, he's in town this week and he's been recently, he's historically full-blown meathead. Recently, he's been competing in triathlons. So he asked me to do that with him. So I don't doubt that a few years from now, I do a triathlon with him. And then eventually maybe I do that marathon with you that we've talked about. Um, And the reason I bring that up is I think that is something that people can kind of, even if you don't want to step on stage in your underwear and pose in front of random people, what you might be able to pull from this is, Uh, just remaining open-minded to different training styles or maybe nutritional protocols, whatever, in different seasons of life. And a lot of times what you might give up and what's technically optimal or even things that you're good at, you gain back. And again, that novelty, that enjoyability factor that keeps you bought in. That way this stuff remains not necessarily the top priority in your life, but just a meaningful part of your life. But that side tangent aside, um, um, I do think the biggest difference with strength-specific stuff is again, it's not that I'm not prioritizing getting strong anymore. But you know, my whole life, for example, I've benched you know well over, I guess, it'd be a hundred kilos, like pretty comfortably, and so I have this ego thing of using less than that amount of weight when I'm doing any sort of pressing variation because it doesn't feel enough, or it feels like I'm getting weaker. But the question I have to ask myself as I go to, you know, 100, 120 kilos, whatever, is okay, like, is this, this might be satisfying my ego and this is the amount of weight I'm used to seeing on the bar. But am I feeling it primarily in my pecs? Am I controlling the weight? Am I getting a good contraction at the top? Because in order for me to do those things, I might have to take a little weight off the bar. I might have to take a little more than a little weight off the bar. So it becomes a little bit, of this ego challenge. Again, whether it's exercise selection or whether it's weight selection, the thing I always have to tell myself now is keep the goal the goal. The goal is not to lift as much weight as humanly possible. And that's not to say again, that I'm shying away from heavy lifting altogether, but all right. I wanted to add another plate to this, um, you know, rowing machine, cause I think it looks cool or using the whole stack and putting the pin at the bottom, but now I don't feel my lats as much. All right, buddy, you got to go back in the other direction. You got to go a little bit lighter here. So that is been a little bit of a hurdle and it sounds silly but I, I don't know if that's more prevalent with men specifically where we get attached to like these arbitrary you know again 100 kilo 120 type thing, the things that we feel like we should be lifting. Um, but I, I've enjoyed that um, that shake up to some degree of like all right it's you know yes, I'm going down and weight on some stuff uh, and choosing different exercises that don't lend themselves to the heaviest possible weights. But I'm also learning a new skill in terms of quote-unquote activating a muscle and improving my mind-muscle connection, a better stretch, a better contraction. And then my north stars have changed. It's not, okay, this week I did 85% three-by-five with three minutes rest. It's did I accumulate more effective reps where I've not to totally nerd out here, but where I've reached the point of involuntary slowdown where by the end of my sets, I've approached technical failure. And no matter how hard I push, you know, good form, we keep that of course, but where that rep might take me three to four to five seconds. Am I accumulating those types of reps that induce hypertrophy? Again, I don't want to go totally down the, the nerd route here, but those types of things have shifted a little bit, which has been fun.
0: It's been interesting as well for my own journey in that, the kind of cliche is that getting older sucks and like Mm. I I turned 41 this year and I still feel um, maturely in my mind, I'm probably still a 15 year old, but my body doesn't, doesn't show that unfortunately anymore. And I, I I can remember, you know, especially throughout my twenties, but definitely into my thirties as well is that lifting the heaviest amount of weight I possibly could, I could recover so easily from, in those like you know, I could do a massive chest day with a bucket load of incline chest dumbbell press you know, all the different kinds two three days later I'm ready to go again with the exact same weight if not more whereas now I just for a multitude of reasons whether it's age where it's my ability to get protein in kids recovery sleep all the different things but whatever it is I can't recover from those kinds of sessions like I used to and so I've kind of gone down the route of kind of the Jay Cutler kind of idea rather than the Ronnie Coleman kind of idea is Ronnie was just how much weight can I lift? It's all about getting that video of me showing I can squat or leg press, you know, 1,000 pounds and kind of what was Jay Cutler very much had the, I'm just going for reps. He had rep, 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 rep and much less weight. And you now look at those two guys aside from the fact they were both juiced to the gills at the days that they were, Jay Cutler now still walks around He hasn't had multiple surgeries. He's very much taking care of his body in a way where he can still live life, whereas Ronnie Coleman, he's had how many um, back um, operations and his spine's been fused and he he can barely walk these days. And so I say all of that to kind of lead on to now and that, yes, I have that ego that, God, I, I once used to lift, you know, this kind of thing, but I'm now going for more reps and I feel more better more better, terrible English. I feel better for it in that I still am very happy that I can lift over a hundred kilos on a, on a bench. I still have that as kind of, but I'm now repping that instead of going, at, you know, kind of four to six kind of rep range and getting to four reps at hundred and twenty. I'm now at a hundred kilos, but repping that for ten reps, and I feel so much better for that. And it don't it don't have that strain on my joints that. 120, 130 kilos would, even though I'd be doing far less reps on it. And so to come again, full circle, of just changing up things, I'm just loving the fact I'm doing more reps.
1: I'm trying to remember how, because I want to give you a shout here, but my kilo math kind of sucks. I'm trying to remember how much weight you pressed at the the retreat, because it was more than you had touched in a while. Was it 120? It was
0: more than I'd I'd ever done. So I did that one rep with you there. Again, I'll try and pat myself on the back a little bit here. Do it. We weren't. We weren't properly. We were. We were doing it in a very yeah. rushed manner and things like yeah, that. Yeah. But I was still very happy that yeah, I one rep one twenty with with you at that gym, which I'd never touched ever in my life. So um, I'm pretty happy with that. I
1: wanted to make sure I called attention for whoever's listening to this that you did that. And to your point, we went straight from spotting people and being not warmed up at all to let's lift more weight than we've ever put above our own necks in our lives. <laughs> But um, Um,
0: I guess to come back to the retreat, I just kind of want to ask you a few questions and please be as honest and open as you can with
1: There's
0: no uh, hard, hard feelings here. I want you to kind of give me a sense of what did you expect when I asked you to that? And then obviously through the planning phase we had before it to how did it turn out in reality? And I say that for two reasons. One, I just want to get your sense on kind of what it was. And number two, is I've been asked multiple times and I've put out the feelers for a a retreat next year and people like Sam coming back and to shout your mum out, your mum has asked, are you doing another health retreat next year? Whether that's her inquiring, maybe she's going to come along to the next one or she's just asking the question. Um, But I'm into two two worlds about whether I do that. And we'll talk a bit more about kind of what my future looks like because of my massive change and what I've been doing over the last couple of months and Completing, I don't know whether a retreat is going to run next year, but you might sway me in that you loved it and we should do it again. I just kind of, as I said, I want to first ask, you know, what did you think about it? But then two, we'll talk about whether another one comes back.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's something that immediately comes to mind. Um, And I don't know if I expected something different, but anytime I think of health and fitness conferences and retreats and anything that falls under that umbrella, I'm used to a tremendous amount of, I don't want to say structure as if the structure did not exist for um, that retreat because it absolutely did, but almost a little bit more rigid PowerPointy. Okay, from eight to 8.45, Adam's going to talk about protein and then 8.45 to nine, Sam's going to talk about carbs and all this stuff. And one of the things I really enjoyed was that there was enough structure where it didn't feel chaotic. Like, oh, what do you guys want to do today? Like we knew we had an itinerary and whatnot. But it also felt um, very fluid and flexible and free flowing, depending on what people were interested in, depending on what people were really enjoying, where it felt more like um, community and relationship building with a dose of education rather than everybody whip out your notebooks. Mm -hmm. We're going to have. PowerPoint number 17. So um, again, I, d- I don't know if I was necessarily expecting anything different. I think I'm just so used to um, you know, retreat, conference, meetup, whatever you want to call it. it. They tend to be in my experience. And this is no knock to anyone that I've gone to before. And if anybody's <laughs> listening to this, but um, so education X and O centric that um, sometimes I feel like it's to the detriment of the relationship and community building side of things. And I'm not sure if you've had a similar experience with any sort of continuing education events you've done there where my favorite parts are always, you know, it's great to learn, but it's jamming with new people and, you know, making memories that way and getting to know other people from different walks of life, et cetera. So that's definitely something that stands out to me that I really enjoyed is the nice mix between structure and fluidity and, the fact that I now have at least half a dozen people where I feel like I could reach out to if and when I go back to Australia, if, hey, I'm in town, let's connect kind of thing. That was that was really fun for me. Mm.
0: And I guess it, again, leads into the next part of it. That There's two main reasons why I won't run a, another re- retreat. And I'm completely honest with those. In number one, I don't know how people do it as a career. For, the main reason being there's just no margins in it. Now i'm talking purely from a business um point of view here they're really expensive to run and i'm very open um with that fact and I, I said the very first retreat i ran i lost a bucket load of money on but it was purely because i just wanted to run one it was kind of a bit of a marketing ploy as well i could get some photos I could get some things up and maybe if this is going to be something i do more in the future I've got some content to draw on the here's some happy people enjoying the retreat. You know, it was kind of, I saw it as a learning curve. And if I have to pay to do that, I I see it as a a kind of necessary kind of pathway into this world of doing retreats. And I thought the second one that I do, I'll have learned so much from the first one that I'll be able to tighten all of the screws that it'll be a much more profitable, well-run kind of thing. And the feedback from the, the three or four people that were there the second time who were also at the first one the feedback was overwhelmingly positive from them saying that not again they weren't criticizing the first one but they were saying that this was so much better run it was so much
1: more adam what um, i'm hearing is it was a shit show with help me there and it was phenomenal.
0: <laughs> pretty much pretty much but um but to kind of learn from that i thought i'd walk away with that it's like cool, I'm going to have everything tightened down. Everything's going to run so much smoothly. And to that point, it did, but the margins were no different. Like I walked away from that second retreat. And again, I'll be open with this probably $1,500 as clean profit. And I I say that knowing I didn't pay you to come. Obviously, I paid for your flight to get here, but I was very acutely aware that I know you have a life to go to. And I tried to give you as much leeway to kind of, Attend to your work when you want. Honestly, to. I think you gave me
1: more than fifteen hundred dollars in Tim Tam. So that, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like I was acutely aware that you had a business to run, and when I'm not in quote paying you to be there, I felt very guilty the whole time. Me trying to go, Sam, can you come and help me with this, knowing you had work that you had to do yourself, and so to kind of run one again, I would feel like I've. I can't see myself running it without you there. You, Tom, and I actually reached out to um, Zach the other week as well, um, who ran the the breathwork session. I want to run the next one in Bali for a number of reasons, but mostly just to change the scenery up. And I think we could run a really cool retreat uh, in Bali and have it much more nature centric in that really doing much more hiking and, trips into the rainforests and surfing and like doing it much more that kind of um, route. And I think having Zach there for a daily breathwork, meditation, cold plunge type setup, I think would absolutely lend to that. But then I start seeing all of those and I go, okay, I got to get Sam across the world and pay for him. Plus I want to pay him for being there. I got to get Tom from Melbourne up into Bali, like a flight from, Melbourne to Bali is far more expensive than Melbourne to the Gold Coast kind of thing or the Sunshine Coast. And then I want to get um, Zach there as well. And then we're probably going to hire some yoga people. And then there are properties, while they're cheaper, obviously to make this worthwhile, I got to fit 12 people in there probably. And if you want to try and find a property that can fit four coaches in their own room, like we're happy to kind of be just shunted away in a a room and kind of that's fine. But then have a property that can fit everyone else in a very luxurious kind of way like you're looking at fifteen thousand dollars for five days kind of thing to kind of find that property and then you kind of start doing the numbers and like 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 now uh, you know again to kind of come full circle life here i'm now moving into a different realm but i've now called myself the fitness and finance guy on um instagram and so I, i i still want to have an element of fitness fat loss well-being and health but also the finance stuff is going to start taking up more of my time as well as you know i'm, I'm more than happy to blow amy's trumpet here in that she's just got a big promotion um, at work uh which is huge but it's going to now take she's now moving into the senior executive side of things so she can't just kind of as an employee as a normal employee just like oh yeah my my husband needs to run a retreat i'll just take some annual leave She's now yeah. a pretty senior executive.
1: Yeah, she he wants to go just... surf in Bali. Can I have some time? <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: So I kind of, I'm
0: very acutely aware of that as well. And so unless this is genuinely making me some money, like what am I doing here? Taking time away from my family, taking time away from this new business and line of work. So again, I say all that not to be pessimistic about it because I loved both retreats. Obviously, I loved meeting you and kind of getting the community together and having that kind of time together but at the end of the day i'm running a business as well and i i can't just kind of run this on a shoestring and think oh cool it was a great time away but i only made 500 bucks kind of thing so um it's interesting kind of move from there and i guess again to answer your mum's question because she did ask a question you know are you running one next year my answer to that is maybe i i I can't answer that definitively yet and you know if all of a sudden i could pull the string tomorrow and yep we'd have 15 people and all sign up they're all going to pay four or five thousand dollars each to come to Bali. Sure, it might make it worthwhile, but it's really hard to find. And especially in today's economy, 12 to 15 people who are willing to spend four to five thousand dollars on their own, on a very selfish thing, which going to a retreat is a very selfish endeavor because it's again, it's good for you, and yet you're gonna learn some things and you're gonna gain something out of it. But at the end of the day, it's just a really nice holiday with some education kind of thing on the side that's that's a hard sell to kind of get people to kind of uh, hand over that kind of money at this kind of time.
1: Yeah. And it's tough on your end because you being an, uh, an ethical businessman who actually has morals and a heart, you want to find that sweet spot between, you know, having the investment be meaningful enough where you can get a good group of coaches there and you can over deliver and you can provide an excellent experience, which you can't do with no margins. And like you said, a shoestring budget, um, but then, of course, you don't want to go in the other direction to make things exorbitant and out of reach for people. So it's this tough balance to find something right in the middle. But actually, I'm curious if, you, if you've given this any thought. Um, obviously, the career pivot, and um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in more depth in a second, but being that more of the financial stuff is going to uh, be popping up in your content, to say the least and a lot of the things you're talking about. Have you thought about any sort of financial literacy, education type thing as part of this retreat, as part of overall well-being? I'm not even sure if you put financial well-being under that umbrella or do you want to keep it more fitness specific?
0: Um, It's interesting because now having gone through and completed the diploma in finance and mortgage broking, especially in the last couple of years, again, I don't know how this is worldwide, but in Australia, there was a very big Royal Commission that went into the whole banking and lending sector and in particular, it was looking at how um, brokers were being remunerated because before the big compliance and governance that's now come in place since that Royal Commission that went through, um, there was very much a, how do I say this is politically correct as I can? There was very much an underhanded kind of understanding that Not everyone, but there was a lot of brokers and banking. I can't just kind of blame all the brokers. I don't want to throw us all underneath the bus, but a lot of brokers and banking that had a lot of handshake deals going on that if you came to me, Sam, and said, Adam, I need a home loan. And I'd be like, Sam, I've got this awesome home loan for you. It's with grade A bank, but... You didn't know that I actually had a deal with Grade A Bank that they were going to give me a $10,000 commission, whereas every other bank was only giving me a $2,000 commission. So I was steering you to take a loan that wasn't really good for you, but I was getting a $10,000 commission. So I was steering you towards that. And so they've scrapped that and kind of pretty much got rid of all of that to make sure that it's all above board, that you know that the loan I'm giving you is in your best interest. Yes, I'm still being paid to give you that loan, but I need to be upfront with that, that Sam, if I give you this loan, here's what I'm going to get for it. And you're very aware of then I'm being paid for this, but then I also have to give you three or four other options that also outline what I'll get if you do take these. So you can go, oh, he's going to get $5,000 commission from this, he's going to get five. Oh, so really this is in my best interest because there's no difference whether I take this loan or another loan. So say all of that purely just to say, There's a lot of compliance around the industry of finance. So if I was to go on a retreat and do it, I can't be so haphazard about the information I give. And that's not to say that you and I are haphazard about it, but that fireside chat that you and I had on most afternoons where we just sat down, the group was there and was like, hey, ask us questions because I did want it to be a bit more relaxed, not a PowerPoint, just sit there and listen kind of thing. It would be hard to kind of do that and stay compliant because at the end of the day, anyone could come back and say, but I went on this retreat and the broker told me, and I don't want to kind of get myself caught up in the first year of my, like, I just don't (laughs) think I'm, you know, I'm one year into this. I'm not as knowledgeable on finance and broking as I feel I am in the fitness and exercise physiology world that. I could very easily slip up and say something that I shouldn't say or say it in the wrong way in this first year that could bite me in the butt that two years later, I get called up by our governing body saying, Hey, we just got a report from a a client of yours that said that you said this, and that's incorrect. And you're now going to lose your license. I I don't want to kind of have that kind of come about again. All of that said, I do want to talk more about the world of finance I'm just going to probably do it through a phone because I can edit that. And I know that I've said this and you're pretty much to cover your bases. You just have to kind of say it or have a caption on the bottom. This is not financial advice. Please seek out a broker or someone, you know, kind of thing. So as long as you kind of cover your bases from there, I think you're fine. Um, But there's so many crossovers between the world of fitness and health creation and kind of the consistency talk, the balance talk, and those kind of little um, tidbits there there are in the finance world. And I want to un- unsexify but make it interesting the world of finance because, again, you, you, you can't turn on Instagram these days without someone, you know, some snake oil salesman just like in the fitness industry. They're just as prevalent in the finance. So this hack can 10X your money kind of thing. It's the same as if you take this pill or this one hack of food is going to melt fat off you. It doesn't exist. The same way in the finance world, there's no unicorns. You can't just 10 X your money overnight. It's buying these particular funds, getting in like these things that just are tried and true. They're unsexy. You just got to do them. you got to be consistent about it and you can retire really well. So that's kind of what I want to kind of bring to that. But, I've just got to try and find a way to try and make it interesting that people want to hit. I I can already hear people kind of, ah, oh, I've had enough clock off from this podcast because like, oh, he's talking about boring, finance, But I'm trying to see how I can try and make it interesting, but still um, have some value from it.
1: I don't doubt that you will. I mean, zero doubt in my mind that similar to fitness, I think early on, perhaps I can speak for both of us where. You know, when you're new in the fitness industry, you might say five reasons, you know, carbs are healthy for you. And then eventually you realize, well, that's pretty boring. People want infotainment, right? So how can I deliver the same information, but package it in a more interesting way? Well, then I might say, oh, you might look at Tim Tams and think they're bad because of their high carb count. But let me tell you how me and my friend Adam had Tim Tams every day, for four days straight and still did X, Y, and Z, right? So packaging it in an entertaining way. Um, I'd imagine that's the same trajectory you'll go on with posting about more uh, wealth building, financial, real estate type content, where maybe at first you err on the side of a little bit vanilla, just again, to be aware of whether it's compliance stuff or specific guidelines, et cetera. Um, but over time, I again, I've zeroed up in my mind that you will find a way to package that in a way where people are still getting the same high quality information, but not five ways a broker can help you with your money <laughs> and you're like oh my god like just like no shot i don't I'll, explain that okay i'll get that's, rid of that, that video that was <laughs> going to be my first video. Yep, <laughs> yeah. yep, I, <laughs> shit 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 let me delete tomorrow's email um <laughs> that's just i feel like the that's what i would anticipate knowing you the way i do and and then our shared experience in fitness is that at first again i think you kind of have to err on the side of vanilla just to make sure the information is right and consistent and then from there i'm like okay how can i um, how can I spruce this up a little bit while still like maintaining integrity and you know accuracy and all that stuff? So
0: because I've, I've been wrestling with either just rebranding my page, which clearly I've done, but what I've also been thinking about doing is just starting a brand new page. And the only reason I say that is that so much of my audience who have come to me since I began that page seven, eight years ago or so are here for fat loss, fitness, well-being. And let's be honest, just to watch my two girls grow up because I get far more engagement when I show my girls on there than I ever do when I talk about fitness or whatnot kind of thing from there. But it's interesting because I've tried to push question boxes here and there. Obviously, I don't post a whole lot to social media these days and haven't for a long time. To anyone listening to this, I am coming back. I promise you there will be more content in 2024. But I've been trying to push question boxes and trying to get people to ask questions that they want to ask around the finance world but I just don't know whether I'm doing it incorrectly or people who are my audience is like well I don't I've got a guy that I go to for finance I'm not asking you I'm here to kind of talk about fitness and fat loss kind of thing and so that's kind of why I thought I'd split the page and be fitness and fat um, you know fitness and finance kind of thing um, and see if I can slowly blend in that finance kind of stuff and bring in the kind of how to structure a loan well how to get into the real estate property market you know interest rates are going up what are the best interest rates you know all those kinds of things and I did get a couple of questions in the question box I put up that we can answer today kind of um, thing from there Um, but it's been hard to kind of cross that barrier because people I don't know if as I said I don't know if they're just reluctant to go well I don't want you knowing my finances because it's a very personal thing I understand that and I think people have trust with me when they say, hey, Adam, I'm feeling X, Y, and Z about my body or whatnot, can you help me? But if I say that, hey, tell me your finances so I can help, they're like, hey, you don't need to know my inner workings or what my bank account says. And so I get that as well. So yeah, it's interesting.
1: I think the trust that you have earned over seven, eight years of being a good, not shitty person, I do think that'll carry over to the fitness side of things where, and I, I don't just say this is your friend, but if I was following somebody who wasn't you for seven or eight years and they had been nothing but helpful and ethical and kind and professional the whole way, and then they pivoted career-wise, I would there would be a level of built-in trust there, right? It's it maybe I have to develop a little bit more confidence in whatever the new skill set is, whatever mm-hmm. that pivot is, but I don't think you're starting from. Ground zero where you're like, Hey, I'm this guy you've never heard of, who's never done anything for you. And I'm going to help you with your finances. So I, I think you're already off the ground floor there. The other thing I'm wondering, maybe this is a little more into the weeds, a little more tactical is that having, do you know how you can put that pin post on the top of your feed? Like one that you just want to stay there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know how a lot of, obviously, you know, this is more rhetorical, how a lot of people put, you know, start here or like, who am I? Or like, what's the deal with the no breakfast guy? And then you swipe through and say, okay, you get a little bit of background. To your point, I don't doubt there are a lot of people who haven't seen you in their feed for a while. And they're like, isn't this guy about fasting? What is he talking about mortgage rates for? (laughs) If you, and again, this is more into the weeds, more tactical. But if you were to have a post, either short video or carousel post that goes, you know, What happened to the fasting guy? Or are you still doing fitness? The main question that people are going to have, if that's what they're used to from you. And then you swipe through and say, oh, okay. He's doing a little bit of the pivot. And then in terms of the engagement and the questions, I think yet again, it's similar to fitness where if we didn't have a history of putting out fitness content, and then we posted a fitness question box, people would like, I mean, it'd be crickets. People are like, why am I going to ask you about that stuff? And then the content ends up being the conversation starter because, it shows your um, you know, education, knowledge, establishes you as an authority figure. So then it makes it lower friction for me to drop a question in that box, if that makes sense. So uh, I mean, I'm not here to tell you what to do, of course, in terms of don't separate the pages, but I think you have a lot of people um, that trust you because you've done nothing but give, give, give for a very long time. Um, so just, again, potentially that explanation post of the biggest question that most people are going to have is what happened to the fitness stuff are you still doing that just to make it super easy to get updated because maybe they haven't signed on instagram for a while they're like i have no idea what's going on with this guy now um he's the he's the broker in board shorts now i, I have no idea what's going on i tried um, to get
0: that actually it's funny you say that like i tried to get the handle i wanted to be the board short broker um because yeah, i i want to bring a, a level this is a running joke in the kind of real estate and finance world is that if you, if you become a real estate agent or you go into the finance world, you buy a blue suit and you buy a BMW. Like every finance and real estate agent kind of thing out there owns nothing but blue suits and BMWs kind of thing. And I couldn't be... Like the thought of wearing a suit every day does not interest me whatsoever. And I was very open and honest with the, the company I'm now going to be working for. So I can say here... I am now actually hired as a broker. I am starting in the new year. Congratulations. Um, which, That's yeah, exciting. Thank you. I said to them, I hope you don't expect me to turn up to interviews and, like, you know, when I'm with a client um, in, in a suit because I'm not a suit guy. I, I hate suits. I feel uncomfortable in them. And I want to be as, as comfortable as I can in front of someone because I feel like I can be my best self when I am that. That's not to say I'm just going to turn up. In a hat on backwards, and I'm just in a pair I was of shorts. Just thinking and backwards hat, <laughs> exactly. But I was, yeah, you know, a nice pair of jeans and a t-shirt. I'm happy to kind of turn up into kind of thing. And they're like, yeah, as long as you're not looking like a bum turning up. There needs to be some level of professionalism, but yeah, we don't expect you to drive up in a BMW in a blue suit, you know, kind of thing. So um, to that point, I tried to get the board short broker because I thought there'd be a level of. Well, I live in Perth. We all live in shorts over here because it's always hot and I'm a surfy kind of guy and that could then link into the fact I do body surfing content as well. Like, you know, kind of thing, but someone who's already got that user name and they've never posted a single thing on it. So they're basically holding it. So someone will come to them and say, Hey, can I buy it off them? I'm not that into Instagram that I want to buy a, a, an Instagram handle. So yeah. um, I ended up going down the fitness and finance guy because it kind of linked back to my branding of being the no breakfast guy. Now I want to kind of be the fitness and finance guy. And so I think it is a level of trying to earn back some respect and um, trust. It's not to say that I think I lost that, but again, being away from, I mean, I haven't posted on Instagram for a year and really haven't been consistent on stories for at least six months kind of thing. People have moved on and yes, people have probably missed my content and maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but there is that level of, well, I now go to another person and I find these kind of people interesting and you think you're just going to walk back in, into my life and just kind of <laughs> feed me information? I get it. That's fine. Um, and so hopefully with the content I bring next year and the ideas I've got and to your point, my first post next year will be who is this guy kind of thing as a kind of welcome back yeah. and I will pin that at the top so people can go and I go, who are you? What do you do kind of thing? And hopefully it'll be a bit of an explanation video of, I don't want to kind of drag on too much, but maybe a minute or two minutes of a, a reel sitting at the top that, hey, I used to be this guy, I wrote a book, I got bored of it, I moved on, I had a family, da, da, da. now I'm a broker and hopefully I can kind of bring those worlds together and help you you know, live a healthy life and a, and a wealthy life kind of thing is kind of what the idea
1: is. So we'll see how that plays out. I should have just recorded the last twenty seconds. We could have turned that into. The, you said that. Isn't it funny that when you improvise things, it rolls off the tongue, and the second you're actually hit record, you go, uh, "Hello, uh, not you personally, but in, in general." Uh, I probably will be. I'll probably,
0: i probably record that forty-seven times and yeah. have. Like, how can I
1: condense an eight-year journey into a single? In a single reel, that's tricky, but no, I think that's a phenomenal idea. And like I said, I feel confident that um, because of that built-in trust factor, that goodwill that you've developed when you do start posting content, just like at some point you and I both had to earn the trust of the people who now come to us with fitness questions, that content will serve that very same purpose of, you know, educating and um, helping people. And they go, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. I'm going to answer his question box now. (laughs) Fingers crossed um i guess that'll lead into we did have some questions come
0: through let me just gonna, where are we um oops not there uh yeah a couple of questions that come through a couple that are fitness related a couple that are kind of financey kind of thing and they're not so difficult that like they're not completely broker related so i'd still love to get your point of view on kind of there as well but i uh, will go Honestly, down to one of my
1: one of my favorite topics so
0: Awesome. Well, and I, I
1: don't claim to be a financial expert, but it's a topic that very much interests me. So
0: awesome. Let's talk more about it. then. But um, I guess we'll go into some of the questions coming. Um, I'm in a maintenance and lift four times a week type uh, phase at the moment. Can I calorie cycle? Uh, high calorie days end up on weekends, uh, no, and then non-lift days, or will that impair building maximum muscle gains in maintenance? I think to, I want to you, clarify.
1: Yeah, you go. Can well, you? Cl- Go ahead, sorry. I was
0: going to say, I think what she's trying to say here is that I'm currently in maintenance and lift four times a week. Is it worthwhile calorie cycling in that she has lower calorie days on days that she's not lifting and higher calorie days on days that she is lifting to end up being a more maintenance type phase? Is that beneficial or does going down in calories on a day when she's not lifting impair her ability to build muscle and gains in her strength? Or would you just kind of maintain the same calories day in, day
1: out? I mean, I will say anecdotally that overwhelmingly, I have seen a straight calorie setup with just say a daily range of, I'm going to make this up, uh, 2,000 to 2,200 per day. Generally speaking, I have seen that produce a better result than people who... Cycle, not because cycling is inherently bad. If you look at it on paper, I'm going to give myself a little bit more fuel, whether it's for performance reasons, if, okay, I want, you know, extra carbs in my training days, or whether it's for social reasons, I want a little more flexibility on the weekends. Uh, and I think the reason for that is the fewer moving parts with your diet, the better. Um, so again, I'm not saying this wouldn't necessarily work for some people, but in general, I tend to be a fan, especially in maintenance, of having a singular range that has a little bit of built-in flexibility anyway, just so it's less to think about. Um, You know, if you were to try this uh, and the goal was more performance oriented, which it sounds like it is, those extra calories uh, certainly should come in the form of carbs, uh, you know, best fuel for a higher intensity workout, best recovery fuel. Um, So kind of bookending them on either side. So again, if you were to try it, I would definitely just not radically change your diet, just have literally bigger portions of your existing carb sources on those harder training days um but i would personally i mean if i was working with somebody who's interested in cycling i would want to see them be highly consistent with again just like straight calories a similar calorie setup every day for an extended period of time before we add a level of complexity that might have limited upside
0: kind of talking anecdotally again i can kind of say over the last couple of years Um, with my kind of journey is that I was very much I was more kind of calorie cycling knowing okay I'm training I've been training good five six days a week and so it kind of didn't cycle too wildly different because I was training almost every day anyway but on those weeks where I was kind of on a kind of four a day kind of a week what I tend to define is that it kind of goes full circle right back to where you were at the beginning of today that you kind of you get the A at the beginning and then you kind of, oh, B will kind of be all right oh, and level out. I found that if I was cycling in that on the days when I was lifting and I'm like, okay, this is a more calorific day. I was meant to be in a range of 2,800. I'd go, eh, today's been 3,200. I'll just take it off the other days. And inevitably on the down days, it's already a pretty low calorie day as it is. I'm struggling to kind of just stay to that. It isn't, you know, And I'm meant to be even more strict because I was more lenient on the Um, kind of the bigger day I just found personally. And again, I'd say to this person, everyone's different. I think just trial it with mate, like cycling, see how you go. And if you don't like it, come back to what has been just a, a more consistent day. But for me, consistency just wins out all the time. If I know I've got to be, as you said, in a range of 2,400 every single day, 20 or 22 to 2,400 is usually my kind of maintenance kind of thing. As long as I'm in that range, day in, day out, I tend to stay to that more than if I give myself flexibility, I tend to take liberties on that and just go, well, I have even more flexibility kind of thing. And it just doesn't work out for me personally.
1: One thing I'll I'll add to that too is, um, you know, I'd mentioned people tend to cycle for one or two reasons, the theoretical performance upside, which again, isn't too drastic. You know, if you're not doing these crazy Michael Phelps type workouts, you don't really need a drastically different carb intake on a daily basis. But the other one being the social component where typically people, of course, they drop calories all week, have a little bit more on the weekends. Um, So if you are to do carb or I say carb cycling, calorie cycling, but often it does come in the form of carbs for performance-based goals. To me, that assumes you have a very high level of adherence independent of what you have going on socially. And what I mean by that is you are somebody who has no problem on a Friday night, or it's highly social Saturday, sticking to that lower calorie allotment. If it doesn't happen, if if you end up on a non training day, and a lot of people obviously take the weekends off from training, maybe they do upper lower Tuesday, Thursday, excuse me, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and then Thursday, Friday, right? And then the weekends, on training day, theoretically lower calories, can you stick to that during a time that lends itself to, you know, more social events and obstacles in that way? So, and I don't want this to sound like I'm ripping on the idea and making this person feel bad for even asking, but I would say those are some considerations. Could you stick to it even when you have a lot of stuff going on socially, if the theoretical goal is performance-based and then just keeping in mind that that yet again, theoretical, how many times can I say that word that uh, the upside is, not drastic i don't think it's as much as um, people tend to sell assuming that you're not doing ultra endurance type stuff um just to kind of ask
0: you but also i think it'll end to this question as well because you said it um just before is that i think far too many people adjust too many things when they adjust their calories but to your point that pretty much fats and protein really shouldn't change a whole lot no matter where your calories are it's pretty much pull the trigger on the carbs at if you get extra calories, add a few more carbs. If you get less calories, kind of take it away from there. To can then say to you personally, with the kind of program you're on now, how has that changed for you? Are you pretty strict like are you eating more protein than you thought you would? Are you less? And kind of how has your macro kind of split been happening and how will that change as you kind of get more, and yeah, more I mean, um, towards the, the actual pointy end?
1: Definitely uh um and most of my clients, I'd have somewhere between 0.8 to one grams per pound of body weight for protein. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what that translates to. Kilos, we know we have a one um, and a
0: half to two grams per okay. kilogram of body um, weight here, yeah.
1: And that's normally adequate for most people. Um, I am well over 200 grams a day now. Um, I think just erring on the, uh, for two reasons. One, just to turn every possible Um, muscle retention card that might help even a little bit just because every single ounce of muscle matters with this stuff. Uh, And then from the hunger management side of things as well. Um, Funny enough, here I am not arguing against calorie cycling, but um, encouraging a level of caution is not the word I'm looking for. Um, I guess thoughtfulness before pulling the trigger on it. But yet here I am also personally doing a level of um calorie and carb cycling right now at the request of my coach but like I'm doing that knowing that social things do not and cannot impact my adherence in any way so I can't have a day that's lower carb and say oh well I went high in carbs yesterday because my buddy was in town it's like no you made a decision you signed up for this thing that has very little wiggle room so um yeah I mean I'm personally doing a little bit of a cycle. Um, one other thing I will add, you didn't ask this directly, but I think it might be valuable for people to hear is that um, when you are cycling for social upside of, okay, I'm going to cut calories a little bit more during the week to have some more flexibility in the weekend. I think 99% of people take that too far and they create this massive gap where they go into the um, famine then feast cycle, and they just heighten the yo-yo thing and uh, the all-or-nothing cycle, and they're just obsessing over what they're going to fit into their calories in the weekend. So I do think that often backfires, just like banking a shit ton of calories for a restaurant. Like, what do you think is going to happen if you had a protein shake for breakfast, a salad for lunch, and you show up at the restaurant with fifteen hundred calories to spare, and you're so hungry you're lightheaded? That's a bit of a side tangent, but um, yeah, just things to consider. I know I was all over the place there with um, calorie cycling in general.
0: I've now non-stop looked for every Brazilian restaurant I can find in uh, Perth since uh, coming on the retreat with you. And obviously I sent you that um, post when uh, I went to, it's called Lapa. I think it is in, um, Mm -hmm. in Perth here. Uh, Yeah. Just an an all you can eat Brazilian buffet. And my God, to your point, like I was doing it purely because I wanted to eat as much as I possibly could. Like the start of the day. yeah, Yeah, I did. I did. I mean, I mostly don't eat breakfast still, even though I'm not the no breakfast guy anymore. I basically don't eat breakfast these days anyway. But my lunch was pretty small on that day. I do it purely because I want to eat as much as I can. I wasn't caring about calories. I was like, I need to explain Sam has nonstop talk about I need to get a Brazilian. I want to make sure I can eat every single piece of meat and salad and an item they bring to my table. Um, and I was glad I did because it was um, pretty spectacular. So um to anyone out there find a local brazilian buffet and get your green card and just turn it on to green non-stop
1: yeah yeah and that what's funny is even when you do have it on the red in my experience they just keep bringing they you food anybody to, yeah. or, or anyway yeah <laughs> yep. and for anybody who's unfamiliar um at many, not all, but many Brazilian steakhouses, uh, they have, uh, I guess, a style of eating, if we can call it that, where the green card, red card, uh, as Adam just mentioned, where if your card's up, they just keep bringing different cuts, uh, typically at stake, but sometimes other stuff, uh, stake over to you. And, and as long as you have that card face up green, they just <laughs> keep bringing stuff over every few minutes. And theoretically, when you turn it red, so in Portuguese, now obrigado, which is no thank you. Um, but I, again in my experience they're like "Ah, oh, fuck your red card i'm just gonna keep <laughs> bringing stuff over to you You end up eating three pounds of meat and uh, never mind the rice and beans and the cheesy bread and all this other good stuff so that's it's that's so yeah, great
0: um next one we've got um bit of an uh, interesting question how are you both so chill every time i message either of you i
1: feel like you are my friend which is a very kind thing um to say saying, I'm, I'm, I'm blushing right now if you're if you're uh, <laughs> Just listening to the audio here. Yeah, I don't even know how to answer that. Um, Again, it's just such a compliment. uh, And I'm glad people feel that way when you reach out to us. Um, I will say, and this is meant to like pat myself on the back, but I guess the best way I could kind of come at this question is I just think it's so common in our industry. The fact that people technically do have a service to sell, they end up being a little slimy in DMs and everything has a catch or caveat and whatnot. And I have always, I mean, I'm proud to say I've always run my conversations through the filter of like, would I speak to, you know, my best friend's mom like this, like in terms of, I'm not going to rope you in with a conversation and then try to get you on a sales call that I, I say it's a strategy session or book your discovery call. Like there's no bait and switch. There's no anything. I just that makes me feel icky being on the other side of it. Like when people, it's a business coach who reaches out to me. So I'm just never going to subject anybody to that bullshit. So I'm glad this person feels this way. Cause I mean, I know, I think I can speak for both of us when I say my inbox is always open to chat, whether it's literally just to say hi, whether you have a question about something in my wheelhouse. And I truly think that is not only is this a compliment, what this person said, but the fact that somebody has Google at their fingertips and 40 million people who do what they do or do what we do. And they're like, no, I'm going to ask Adam like that to me, the least I can do is give you my undivided time and attention and, you know, kindness yeah. ideally. So.
0: And I mean, to uh, that, so that point.
1: I, yeah. So I was going to say to that point,
0: no, in that because I don't post at all story or even consume much on Instagram anymore. When I do get a, an inbox that does come in, everyone is so apologetic. Like, it's like, I'm so sorry. I know you're not on Instagram anymore, but can I just ask you? And I'm like, please don't apologize. Like, oh, while I might not be on there, I'm still more than happy to answer those questions. And yeah, I, it it kind of stems from a, I love the quote that you don't need to know the weight of a rock if you never have to lift it up. And I, I say that purely because, I genuinely, this is going to sound weird. I I don't have any cares in the world anymore. Like my genuine, like, and that has just made me such a less stressful person in that the only cares I have, and this kind of comes back to what the hell is he talking about? A rock for kind of thing in that. I, I just, I have so less worries about the world of kind of, I worry about that. I worry about this. And that kind of comes to, if I worry about things, therefore I'm, I'm needing to know what it, feels to lift it up kind of thing in that I've just gotten rid of so much stress out of my life. And i have become very singular focused in my girls and my family and my number one. If, if people or something wants to take time away from that, it better be worth it. And if, if I don't put time towards that, then I don't have to worry about it kind of thing. And so generally the thing that comes a very close second to that is this audience of people that have trusted me over these years. And so when someone does message me and to your point that you have so many options now these days, the fact that you've taken five minutes out of your day to ask me a question, of course, I'm going to give you my time and I'm going to do it in my timeline. That has certainly changed years gone by. I would very quickly just like, sorry, kids, just be quiet. I've got to answer this. I've done that in the past. Whereas now once I've attended to all of that, I will then get to my inboxes. And so, just know that when i am replying to you i'm doing it because i want to and i have the time to do it and so again the fact that that comes across that people feel that we're very friendly and open and approachable i'm glad that comes across because that's certainly and again i think we can talk for both of us in that that's what we intend to do because we genuinely enjoy what we do and answering those questions and are humbled by the fact that you could and even now with chat gpt you i mean I have to say it writes a pretty good program. If you go in there and write a good prompt and say, Hey, I need a four, four day split program. This is what I've got. This is the equipment. It'll write you a really good program. Pretty much what I would write you. But the fact that you're coming to me and asking me for that rather than the million other kind of things out, I, I feel very humbled by that and we'll give you my time of day because of it.
1: Beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's just the ultimate compliment. So um, I, I truly am a, uh, Glad that. I mean, ideally, everybody interacts with us feels that way. Hopefully, um, absolutely. Yeah. No. Thank you so much for that.
0: Um, I will say a big shout out to your mum. Her next, the next two questions are for your mum. And as i said we said it from before, um, you know, will we be doing another uh, wellness weekend next year? And if yes, where? I kind of answered that. Is that if I do run this, um, I do want to run it uh, in Bali. Um, and to your mother, if she is listening to our podcast uh, today, I would love to see you there and uh, get you and your son um, back out there. Cause I think that'd be pretty cool. I got to run the first retreat with my mum there, um, which I think was oh, okay. pretty special. Um, and it was great to have her there. It, it felt a little weird to begin with. Cause it's like, I'm in work mode and I've got my mother here, you know, kind of thing. But in the end, obviously she just became a, an, another client that was there kind of thing um and i was just delivering her a service and um, whatnot and then you know at the end of it you know can talk to you. what did you think Mum? and she's oh it was so good to see you interact with the end of the day you know kind of see you in your workplace which was kind of cool because why would my mum ever or my parents ever get to see me in my workplace kind of thing so that was kind of cool so whether it does happen um yeah it will be in bali and um i'll keep you informed so we'll let you know
1: yeah yeah definitely no it's interesting about having um my mom involved with something like this and I speak from experience the two I haven't hosted retreats but the events that I've hosted that uh, just like a couple hours of speaking and you know bringing other guests and whatnot um, part of my mom's job at the school that she works with is like event planning type stuff for hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people so you know here you and I are um, uh, and Tom of course working with uh, roughly a dozen people let's call it My mom's wheelhouse is years and years of experience with 800 people, 900 people, et cetera. So um, it was such not to call my mom an asset, but it was such an asset to have her be involved with the events that I put together. And just to give one super quick anecdote that will summarize just the way her mind works with a lot of this stuff. The most recent event that I hosted had close to a hundred people. We ended up doing this big group X workout type thing. So I needed to have everybody sign waivers when they came in the door. Everybody had a printed name tag because I think those things are so important at bigger events so you don't have to pretend to remember people's names and whatnot. (laughs) But anyway, um, so my thought was, okay, I'm gonna set up the registration desk right when people walk in. So people don't sneak off without sign not that the waiver is everything, without the waiver, without the name tag, whatever. And her immediate thought was, well, if you put the pens right there, there's going to be a gigantic buildup of people at the door. And people are just not really going to know what's going on. And then you'll have to go chase them down. So we ended up staggering the tables and made it a, made it a multi-step thing. And there's never anything I would have thought of for a seamless transition into the door that, oh, 75 people could show up within a 10-minute window and then I'm spending the first 20 minutes of the event chasing people down to get a name tag on everybody. So um, perhaps she would end up being an asset in that way too with like <laughs> the event planning stuff. That is, again, she's, she's a whiz when it comes to that. Yeah, awesome. Um, her
0: other one was, uh, does working out with someone slash group increase overall outcome versus walking out working out alone? Your thoughts. What are your thoughts on this? <laughs> um, I'm probably the wrong person to kind of ask. I say that purely just as an anecdotal for me personally, I don't like working out with people. I never have. I just, it's my, I'm so busy with the rest of my life. I can't say that anymore, but I'm busy with the family stuff. But when I was working face to face with clients, I had a clinic and I had you know, 50, 60 clients. I was seeing a week kind of thing. And it was just all consuming. When I got to work out, it was finally my time to like, okay, my space, the headphones go in. I'm in my own world. Do not come up to me. Do not ask me questions. I don't want to hear from like it was kind of my time kind of thing. And so the thought of having even a close friend working out with me is like, I just, I've got to have conversation. I've been conversing all day. Like, I just want to be quiet and kind of listen. I now say that coming to a different place in my life now where, again, I'm not in a clinic and I'm not working with people all the time, things like that. I personally do think because I can now kind of relate it back to when we were on the retreat and I had you stand I had a whole group of people watching me. It probably had more to do with it. But had you there kind of, all right, we're going to do that. Like I never thought I could lift 120-kilo bench press, even on the back of my head, knowing where I was at in my kind of own lifting. I'm like, no, that probably equates to a 1RM one of 120 kind of thing. I never thought I could lift that. But you standing over like, all right, you ready? We're doing this kind of that certainly made me lift more than what it was. So kind of like an encouragement and kind of lifting kind of thing to do more and act more and be more accountable. I think probably there is an aspect of that that you'll get a higher performance out of it. Um, But if you know yourself, and I just kind of then come back to it, is that if you know yourself that, no, you enjoy your own time in your own space, I think personally for the marginal gains that you might get from it having there to the detriment to your enjoyment of that, if you know yourself that you like being on your own, then I say train on your own. But if you like groups and you like being, then find groups or someone to train with.
1: Yeah, you explained that perfectly. So I'll only add something brief. Uh, I think the main consideration, whether it's with a training partner or a group setting, um, is that you don't let things get too social because uh, that's very common. Like I said, my buddy Matt is in town in the last few days and uh, we train very hard. He's one of the best training partners I've ever had. But it's also, I mean, he lives in London, right? I'm here in New York. So we're also playing a level of catch-up. So it's easy to let a rest period turn into eight minutes between sets. (laughs) So I'd say just be mindful of the excessive socialization to the detriment of the workout, especially if it's a regular training partner, not a unique situation like this. Um, And then definitely as the numbers increase, uh, whether it's a small group training thing and certainly group X, when I say concessions, I mean, you're almost having to adjust to the mean. So instead of maybe picking the right exercise for you or the right weight for you, you might be doing the thing that kind of works for everybody um, in terms of whether it is the pace, whether it are, whether it is the rest periods. Um, and sometimes the accountability and the enjoyment you get from that is worth the trade-offs. But yeah, I mean, if you can train with somebody, again, doesn't get it's nice to have a little bit of a social element, but not excessively social in somebody that's ideally kind of in your league or a group of people of a similar fitness level, I think that's important as well. And this isn't to be fitness snobby and say you shouldn't work out with somebody who's not as strong as you. But again, I think at least within striking distance that way, you're not inadvertently leaving a little something on the table just to kind of make it work for the the bigger group. If that makes sense. That's a good point to bring up. And I'll kind of link that back to my running. again. Mm-hmm. The gym
0: was a very much in the day back in the day was a very much, I will never train with someone. I was very hard and fast about that, but running. I had a sense of, I like running on my own. Again, it's my own space. I like to get outside. I never ran with music. So that time I I don't listen to music when I work out. I listen to podcasts even back then, but running was, I need to listen. I want to hear my breath. I want to hear my feet on the ground. I want to hear nature. It was a pure, just get into nature kind of aspect and again, having someone running next to me, the idea of like, I've got to make conversation with someone kind of thing there. I'm like, I don't want that. That said, I had a client um, come to me probably two or three years before we moved from um, Melbourne. And he said, Adam, I've got a goal to run a certain half marathon time. Can you help me with that, with the strength work as well as the running? Yep, no worries. Let's, let's go down that pathway. And then he was doing his um, Saturday Run, And he was a better runner than I was. His goal was to run a sub one minute, one hour 30. So sub 90 minute half marathon. For me, I always wanted to run a sub 100 minute um, half marathon. So we were about 10 minutes um, different from there. Um, So he had to average about a four minute kilometer pace. I was averaging about a four minute 40 um, kilometer kind of pace try and do that conversion in a miles. I can't work it out. So I'm sorry, I can't do that for all the, the yeah, but, um, yeah. But for anyone listening, it's a very quick half marathon and a very quick um, kind of pace. And he said to me, can you come on the Saturday long run with me? And I was open with him. I said, one, I don't really like running with people. And for two, you're actually quicker than me. Even though I'm your coach, you're like you're running much quicker than me. I think I'm going to be holding you up. And he said, well, my slow run times though, they're here. Could you not kind of work in more of your tempo type runs, which is more of kind of a race pace type run into my slow run. Therefore, you're not holding me up. You can kind of get a run in and I can have my coach there walking me through the different stages of the run. I'm like, "Eh, okay, fair enough. I, I say all of that to say that actually having someone who was better than me made me a better runner. And again, we were in striking distance. It wasn't like he was so much quicker that he felt like, oh, God, this guy's a drag on me kind of thing. <laughs> we were kind of thereabouts that it made me lift to a, a pace that, and it got me across the line, to be fair. And I've always said to him, the only reason I was able to actually run my goal pace was because I was doing those um, Saturday long runs with you. But it lifted me to a pace that those kind of paces we were doing on that line, I would never have done that. But by having him next to me knowing... I can't look like a shitty coach running next to my client. who's just going <laughs> to outpace me kind of thing. So so I better stay with him kind of thing. So it might come full circle to say, it might be a good thing in, in its right place, training with someone who is maybe slightly better than you, or he's going to hold you to a higher standard than you would hold yourself, might uh, might be a benefit to you.
1: Definitely. I mean, to be honest, and not to bring this right back to myself, because I think your example is phenomenal, but I touched weights over the last few days at my gym with Matt there with me that I haven't touched in the nine months that I've been training there prior. And I didn't get stronger overnight. So I think yeah. just you know, a mental shift. Um, one last thing I'll kind of add to this uh, conversation, although my mom didn't ask it directly, I think it's a worthwhile consideration is that sometimes it's not necessarily the person or people you're training with as the, so much as it's the environment that you're in. So for example, the mach- most of the machines I have access to now in my bodybuilding gym in New York, I'd have access to in the average well-equipped commercial gym pretty much anywhere in the world. But when I, it's like a dungeon kind of basement feel with wood paneling and all these old school bodybuilding photographs and you walk down and again, everybody's three times my size. I don't have a training partner and I don't do any sort of group X type thing, but simply being in that environment, um, it just makes me want to be better. I, I, you know, I'm, you know, doing a, I don't know, a hack squat with 400 pounds and I'm like, wow, that was pretty good. And then I look to my right and someone's doing, you know, a one legged hack squat with 800 pounds, like, <laughs> not actually, but you, you get the gist. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think a lot of times just whether it's investing a little bit more and maybe a little bit of a nicer gym or a quote unquote, harder core gym traveling even a little bit further I do often think that ROI is there because if you just kind of do that very simple gut uh, kind of gut check of when I walk in my gym doors do I feel complacent and just like nah, I'm going through the motions or you know is there Metallica playing or hardcore hip-hop and I look around and go holy shit like and I do want to emphasize here if you look around and you go I don't belong all these people are bigger stronger faster leaner I would just encourage people to look at that almost as evidence of what you are also capable of. Cause at one point, every single person that you see that you're now putting on a pedestal was in your shoes. It may be tough to believe now when they're 285 pounds and 6% body fat, but at one point they were in your shoes. So I do think even if you don't have, you know, a specific training partner or a training group, sometimes just investing more resources and being around the right people can make a, and what, maybe a, a running club would be a good example of that too. Of You know, on Saturdays, I'm going to drive a little bit farther than I'm used to just to get around some people because Hawthorne's effect, we all operate a little differently when we think we're being watched. And I mean that in a good way. So um, you can leverage that as well. Absolutely.
0: Um, we are going to roll into a few little finance questions. So let's see uh, how we go with this. And I'm going to say, yeah. this is not financial. I got to put
1: this. There we go. <laughs> this yep. is
0: not financial advice. Please seek out people. This is just our opinion. So yeah. Um, if you had $10,000 in savings, how much would you invest? How much would you hold on to? What would you do, Sam?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. So um, this is so fun for me because honestly, let me just say outside of fitness stuff, and maybe tattoos, I do love financial wealth building conversations quite a bit, but I'm just not typically asked about them because I don't <laughs> present myself as an authority on that. Um if I had $10,000, they're asking about the ratio of saving to investing. That. Said, yeah.
0: How much would you invest and how much would you hold on to?
1: I mean, my immediate thought is do I have any sort of emergency fund? Like, do I have my basic stuff covered? If I have a little bit of a cushion, if shit went South, if I did not have an emergency fund built up, I would allocate most of that. Uh, Cause I think, and maybe this will be a recurring conversation for anything financial and similar to fitness, you, you have what's technically optimal and that if I put it in a savings account, I might get a very low annual return of even if it's a couple percent. And technically speaking, if I invest it, I can get a much higher return. Uh, but I think you have to consider the psychological stuff as well uh, with the peace of mind associated with say having a, a fully stocked emergency fund. But if I did have that box checked, um, I would move on to just a little bit of extra cash for monthly expenses and an unexpected thing or two. And then quite honestly, I would invest the rest. It's funny. I feel like this was a test and I'm curious if I got the right answer, but that's that's my thought is peace of mind, a little bit of cushion, and then you turn on the investing faucet as much as possible. It's interesting. And again, I think it's so
0: individual and that's why talking to someone, and like you said, you know, you get right into this. I've I've always been fascinated as well via money. like, And it's a weird thing to say, and I know we've had this conversation, but it's interesting how money works in the world economy and how it, how it processes, how it moves and how it gets invested and how it works for people and how there's so many really small things that people can do to have an exponentially better outcome at the end of it all um, kind of thing without having to put too much effort in. And again, these are where the similarities come with the fitness is there's, there's some small triggers that you can pull that really have a big benefit on you over the long term when you play them out consistently. Um, and this is a place, and I'm going to say that this person for argument, say, does have like some sort of savings in there, And I've all of a sudden got an extra $10,000 that I've been saving away. And like, what should I do with this extra 10 grand? Personally, um, I sit there and go, well, there's so many small things that you should be doing that investing would have a better outcome. Yes, the world's slightly different now with regards to interest rates are obviously higher around the world. And so sticking it in a bank, you are going to get a better return than you you have over the last 10 years where interest rates have historically been very low. But again, if you have a nest, like if you have some savings there that are sitting there for the rainy day type stuff, I say, again, it depends where you are in your life Sense If you are young and you happen to have this, then I'd say go balls to the wall and go for the riskier type profile. Because at the end of the day, 10 grand is a lot of money but it's not in the grand scheme of things. And so I'd say risk it for the biscuit. Kind of, I don't want to kind of get too cliche with kind of terms, but risk it and go a bit riskier, because if you lose it all, you could probably get back those, that 10 grand with, you know, some sort of um, savings kind of minded process moving forward. But, you know, these days kind of, you know, in, uh, in EFT type funds, investment funds and things like that, that are quite low risk, um, you know, they follow the market mostly anyway. But you can get a better return than you can in the bank because most the stock market historically has returned anywhere from kind of 8 to 10% year on year. It has definitely been better in the last 15 years. And I think far too many people look at the last 15 years and go, the stock market just does so well. If you look at it actually over a 100-year span and then you take into consideration inflation as well, it's really only probably recorded probably a 6% to 8% return, not that 8 to 10% type return. But that's still better than what you're probably getting in the bank. And so I think far too many people, especially now, and that's completely understandable, i got to hold on to everything. Like, I don't know what the world's going to do. Is the world kind of fall apart? I kind of err on the kind of side of if the world's going to fall apart and the stock markets are going to completely crash and everyone's losing their home you got more things to worry about than just... Yeah, I was going to say, probably bigger problems. Exactly. So I say, personally, again, this is my personal opinion, I'd say look at some investment funds that follow the index, um, you know, the market. um, And, you know, you can diversify that as well. You know, there's index funds in real estate. There's index funds in different financial kind of realms that you might not have the money to actually buy a home and get in the property market. But that's not to say you can't get into an index fund that doesn't purchase shares in the property market kind of thing. So yeah, I'd take every single cent of that personally, and I'd, I'd invest that um, out into things that are your risk appetite. Again, people can sit there and go, I'm super risky at the moment. I'm going to do it into the Bitcoin world and cryptocurrency. Personally, I'd be steering well clear of that. That's just not something because I don't know anything about it. And so I'm, uh, other people might sit there and no, it's a great investment I made. Great. Well done for you. But for me, it's too risky at my stage of life, but you got to kind of understand, well, where are you at your stage of life? Where are you at your age? What's the next 10 to 15 years look like? Can you, again, I know I'm all over the place here. I would say when you invest, be prepared to lose every single cent. That it's not a complete gamble where it's going to, you know, like if you go to the casino and go, I'm going to put this 10 grand on red, there's a chance that it turns black and you just lose every single cent. But investing is a certain kind of gambling. And I don't think people kind of comprehend that quite enough. Um, But if you can kind of have the mindset that this $10,000, I hope it does appreciate and I do get a good return on it. But if it was all to go tomorrow, does your life become seriously more challenging? If it is, you don't have that kind of safety net that you think you do. But if you can go, no, this 10 grand, if it all went tomorrow, I'd be upset about it. But I'm not, my life doesn't end kind of thing i personally sit there and go, you've got the emergency fund. You feel comfortable enough that it's all going to go. Mm-hmm. Invest it all, personally. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, same page. Sound good? Um, this, uh, another question, this isn't financial related. Uh, moving and decluttering. I know you did an interstate move and Sam has moved around um, a lot. I know, I, I already know what the answer is from you because you live a pretty minimalistic life. But you've now, you've have you locked yourself into NYC? for another year where are you where are you
1: at at the moment no we'll decide for sure uh february yeah so you still haven't
0: completely decided
1: not 100 percent. i mean i'm mr indecisive (laughs) when it comes to that i you know i'm just the cliche american where if i see an instagram reel of rome i'm like i could see myself living in rome and then i start romanticizing that life um but yeah i mean so i will say even though like i've set up shop temporarily in new york i I think most people, I think we've talked about this actually on a podcast before, um, would consider me, and I say this not as a badge of honor, but just an observation, would consider me to be a fairly extreme minimalist in that if this apartment caught on fire, I could leave everything that I care about that's functional, that matters to me in a single backpack in about three and a half minutes. And I personally have a lot of psychological, I mean, there's utility to that when it comes to moving around a lot, but I personally have a lot of, um, you know, we talked about like the psychological considerations with money, right? Um, and for me, I have a tremendous amount of peace of mind where it feels like, well, you can't take anything from me because, okay, my house burns down, I'll buy another black t shirt, I'm fine. Like, you know what I mean? It feels, it feels like we very are both wearing today. our
0: black t shirts. Yep.
1: Oh, of course you have to, you have to, if you're talking to me, but um, to get back to that actual question, which I think I interrupted, was it just asking for general advice on decluttering?
0: Yeah. I think moving and decluttering, like, you know, yeah. how, how have you done it? And Like, yeah, I guess so,
1: um, from that point of view. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I again, I, I love this topic clearly I already distracted myself, but um, I think there are some very non-committal, non-extreme things you can do to lean out a little bit with your possessions. Uh, One thing that comes to mind is the hanger challenge. You quite literally take everything in your closet, face it in the opposite kind of awkward direction that you wouldn't typically face. And then just go about your life for the next X weeks, X months, and just see what you end up wearing. And then when you put it back in your closet, face it the correct way. Now, obviously, there are seasonal considerations to this where you're not going to throw out your jackets just because you didn't wear them in the summer. Um, But let's say, again, you make it a seasonal thing of at the end of eight weeks of summer, you look in your closet and there are, in most people's cases, at least five to 10 shirts that you did not break out the entire summer. They're just there because they're, quote unquote, good to have or because you feel guilty getting rid of it because you spent a lot of money on it. Those things might be worth revisiting, um, whether that is some sort of resale type thing. Um, Like, you know, people here use Poshmark or sell stuff online or whatnot. Um, And then you could donate if you don't want to just like completely trash all this stuff, because that can... Uh, alleviate some of the sting of getting rid of things that you spent money on is knowing that it's going to go to somebody who needs it. Um, so that comes to mind, the hanger challenge. Another one I really like, it's called the packing party. Uh, this one is a little more committal, but again, it's not necessarily extreme. And you can do this one room at a time. So your whole house isn't like in shambles. You might start with just your bedroom and take virtually everything that's not like the bed itself. And you put it in boxes, almost like you're ready to move out of your home and move to a new location, similar to the closet thing, the hanger challenge. Over the coming days, as you need things, you just pull them back out of the box. And at the end of, again, pick a timeline four weeks, six weeks etc., you'll find that 80% of that stuff is still in boxes. You could go super non-committal and just do it in your bathroom with all your toiletries. Take absolutely everything out, put it in a box and over the next four weeks, see what you actually break out and end up needing. You're going to look in that box again, you're going to see 80% of your stuff. So I think so often when people hear about minimalism, it's from people who are super culty about it. And they're super proud of like, you I think I said this in the last podcast too. It's, you know, you own 17 things like you maximalist, capitalist <laughs> asshole. Like I own 11, like I don't even own a toothbrush. Like I have baking soda in my finger. And I'm like, what's like, like the whole point is to make your life better. So again, I think some of the, the hanger thing, the boxing um, kind of boxing party. Um, Those can be really valuable as well as just the question you can ask. Sorry, I'll wrap this up in a second. I don't know you can basically run every item in your home through the audit of, um, is this useful? Which is like a very minimalist, extreme thing to do. Purely does it have utility or does it bring me value in some way? For example, I look at my living room right now behind this uh, laptop and I see a gigantic photo of Valencia where I lived last year. This has absolutely no utility on a daily basis, but when I look at it, it makes me happy. So that is absolutely staying in my apartment, at least for the time being, because it has some sort of value, even if there isn't technically day-to-day utility. Uh, But the vast majority of things in people's homes, I mean, you know, is this useful? Like, does it bring me value? No, but my cousin gave it to me six years ago and I'd feel bad throwing it out. I'm like, you're fine. Well, I'm going to come at a slightly different angle just purely because yeah.
0: um, I'm in the broking world and just my mind goes running. When that question came up, my, it was like, how can I generate content from <laughs> that kind of thing? In yeah. the, one of the posts that I was thinking of in the new year is like how you could save to, um, for a deposit on a home earlier kind of thing. And it actually comes back to that exact point is that so many people have things in their home that I guarantee if you went around your home, you probably got four or $5,000 worth of stuff as a resale price, you may have spent much more than that, but you know, you could stick it up on Facebook marketplace or whatever the kind of place you're selling it and get yourself a couple of thousand dollars. And so that was a post I was going to do is like 10 things you could sell in your house that you probably didn't know, you know, kind of thing. And for the most part, so many people have bought things or continue to own things. I don't want to kind of say this too flippantly, but because they're trying to impress other people like oh it's then, human
1: nature we're all guilty of it absolutely yeah. we,
0: we all are and you know you bought a watch or you bought a particular piece of furniture or clothing or whatever it is but as you said it's not practical or you don't really use it much and it just sits in the hangers and it's valuable things that sure okay whether you bought it for vanity reasons or you genuinely wanted it if you're not using it too much like i sit there and go well get rid of it then like and you know you you came up with some i love the um the coat hanger one if you turn it around yeah but my my ocd brain wouldn't allow me to put the coat hanger in the wrong way <laughs> i just know that but you just throw that. half your shit out preemptively <laughs> like i'm not doing this i'm <laughs> yeah. just gonna get rid of everything yep. um uh, but i love that, that I actually facing the other way Sorry. that if you put it in you could see at the end yeah. of a month oh i've actually only used three of these things in here everything is i still turn around yeah
1: actually here's a good example i um I have a leather jacket that I bought a few years ago that I wear once a year twice a year, maybe with a photo shoot or video shoot almost out of a sense of obligation because I spent so much damn money on it. But I, I asked myself, okay, if I spent, you know, 20 bucks on this jacket instead of several hundred dollars, would I have any qualms about getting rid of it? The answer is absolutely not. I would get rid of it. And so obviously that's, you know, okay, I should probably get rid of it. And whether it's to resale thing or donate, et cetera. Um, but I think something people can do, sorry if you can hear the street noise behind me again, yeah, but right. um, I think something p- people can do to avoid putting themselves in the situation where they accumulate a tremendous amount of stuff is picking a dollar and day amount for every potential transaction. So an example of that would be, okay, that jacket I bought on a whim probably because I saw some model wearing it and said, oh, he looks great. I need. I absolutely need that jacket. But you can make a rule with yourself where if it's, okay, anything, over $100 or even $50, I need to revisit it seven days after the initial urge to buy that thing. And you and I obviously recommend a similar strategy with nutrition. Okay. You think you want the snack after dinner? Fine. Set a 20 minute timer, revisit it in 20 minutes. If you still want it, go right ahead. But oftentimes in those 20 minutes, you lose interest in that thing. Um, I think that is again, a very not, and the reason I keep saying non-committal, not extreme is because I'm well aware that most people who are minimalists are just so aggressive about it that it's like they're trying to convert you to their religion. It's just (laughs) such a turnoff. Um, so again, I'm not saying to never buy anything and that you have to fit all your possessions in one backpack or anything like that, but pick a dollar amount and then pick an amount of days, a timeline of, okay, it's over $50 and I'm in the store and I'm like, Ooh, like this actually looks pretty appealing. Wonderful. If you want it that bad, then seven days from now, you should still be interested in that thing. And in most cases, seven days later, that novelty wears off. and You don't actually want the thing. And then you can avoid something called the cost of ownership Um, and whether that's an actual financial cost of maintaining whatever the thing is that you bought, whether it's the cost of time and energy of just having to figure out a place to put it. Uh, eventually having to resell it again. It's not just the cost of the initial transaction. It's everything that comes after. And sometimes that's worth it. It might even be you're buying a bigger home or you know, having to um, get a storage unit or like buy just like bins for your home to accommodate all the shit that you don't actually need. So again, there's a cost of ownership. So I think if you are, and again, I know I'm bouncing around here. If you're worried about getting rid of something because I spent a lot of money on it, there's also a financial upside to doing that um, and even an emotional upside to doing that that isn't necessarily quantifiable.
0: Yep, makes sense. Um, move on to this one. Is, um, all right, this one is uh, back to finances. So we'll see how we go here. Um, once again, this is not financial advice, please. Second. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, I'm in my 60s and single. I own my own home. How much do I realistically need in super?
1: I'm not right. sure what super is.
0: It's like your 401k.
1: Oh oh oh, oh boy. Um, I mean again, I'll, I'll do my best. I certainly don't position myself as an authority here. Um, my immediate thought and something I would do uh, is look at I'm not sure if it's similar in uh, Australia and forgive my ignorance, but generally speaking, the rule here would and I'm again, you're probably already familiar with this Adam is that you can pull four percent from that fund per year and theoretically never run out of money. So I would just look at you know, cost of living, right now, obviously you have to account for inflation long-term. So like, like you said, maybe if you're counting on an eight to 10% return, adjust that at somewhere closer to six to 8% and look at that amount of money and see if it would theoretically fund your current lifestyle. So I'm not sure the exact numbers off the top of my head, but say your recurring monthly costs are you know $5,000 a month. Okay. That would be 4% of what, and then I would kind of work backwards from there. So that would be my... Initial thought again, not necessarily and certainly not giving advice or saying what you have to do, um, but I think similar to nutrition, getting very familiar with what those numbers are helps guide decision making. It makes it more tangible, and you can kind of reverse engineer your other decisions around that. So, how do I do? No,
0: I, I've I've always heard that four percent rule as well, and so you kind of play it back the other way. Is it yeah? If you're if um, you needed five thousand dollars a month, what's that work out a year? Um, 10 is 50, 60, a year. 60 grand a year. So yep. I don't know what, f- I, I can't do. Really yeah, that's the math. math. Yeah, kind of, if you kind of work out that that's, you got a calculator there, you're going <laughs> to... I am, yeah. Um, kind of
1: work- 1.5 million in that so, case. Yeah, so
0: a lot of people sit there and go, okay, cool. So if I have $1.5 million in assets, then I'm covered. Too many people use their home as part of their assets. Now, this person here has kind of separated that out that, I'm single, I own my own home, so how much should I have in super? I would say instead of super, as in loose equity elsewhere. So whether it's super, whether it's in investment funds, it's everything else aside from your home because people like to lump their home in as an asset. The home is a liability. Assets give you money, liabilities take money from you. Yes, your home might appreciate in value, but until you sell it, you can't go and buy your groceries with oh, can I give you a window from my home? Like your home doesn't give you any value until it's sold kind of thing. And so you need somewhere to live. So, so many people get this, oh, I'm going to buy this home and then it's going to be worth 10 times the amount when I retire. Who cares? It doesn't actually, it's a false economy, the home. So I just want to kind of say that from the outset, but if people have completely paid out their home, they've got a place to live, they're secure there, how much kind of, assets and equity should they have kind of in the rest of their life? I've always heard and worked on that kind of 4% rule. However, my kind of ideas have changed very much. So in the last few years, and this might be wrong, this might be right. People feel free to blast me in the, in the comments if you so wish to, I don't think we should be leaving anything for our, our kids when we die. I, I, I'm very aware that my parents have said, we've done all of this to help you guys out when we pass away. I hope my parents blow every single cent of money they have because (laughs) I hope, God, God willing, that they die in another 20 years time and I get a good full life of them getting into their 90s kind of thing. That means I'm going to be 60 years of age. Why do I want an inheritance from you at 60 years of age? You could have helped, and I'm not. This is not to say to my mum and dad, "Why haven't you helped me out now?" Because I don't want your help. But if I do need your help, help me when I need it, like in my 30s and 40s kind of thing. Don't help me when I'm 60 years of age. What am I going to do with an inheritance then? Like I've kind of went. So I, I say all of this in that I want everyone to get to the end, of, and of course you can't time it. You don't know that you're going to die at age 91, 82. But I think you should be going out and blowing that money when you're older. And instead of working on that 4% ruling, I, I have this nest amount of assessment um, assets that I draw 4% on every year. So I never touch that. So then I can pass that on to my kids. I say, go out in a blaze of glory. like, And as you get older, that spending should become more, maybe more conservative when you retire. And I go, cool, I need to know that I've got 30, 40 years worth of runway here because I could live until I'm 100. But when you start getting into your 70s, okay, I'm a bit older. I've still got this nest egg. Start drawing down on some of that. You you earned it. You, you deserve it. Like go and enjoy it. Like whether that's an extra holiday a year or instead of that holiday that you'd normally take in economy, you go and buy a first class ticket or you've always wanted to own a Porsche. Go and buy it at 80 years of age. Why do you need to be 40 years of age owning these nice things if it's what you've always wanted to do? So that's just... Me and some people go, no, I'm, I'm here to serve my kids. I know this is a horrible thing. I'm not here to serve my kids. I'm here to give them everything they want in life, but they're not, I'm not here just to give them an inheritance when I die, kind of thing. That's personally me.
1: Oh, I like that a lot. And obviously, I can only speculate as to how I'll feel as currently a non parent, but um, you're familiar with Morgan Housel by any chance, or the psychology of money?
0: No, I'll have to look that up.
1: I, I think you would devour that book and an hour and a half. Um, cause and to briefly kind of actually plug this book, not that Morgan's a friend of mine or anything, but, um, you could basically read it and swap every time it says dollars for calories or wealth building for weight loss in the book would, I don't want to say, read the same. I'm not trying to diminish his work, but the principles are very similar. Um, but the reason I bring him up is I actually recently uh, listened to a podcast that he was on and he, he's a wealthy guy. Um, and he sold, I don't know, two million copies of his book and whatnot. Um, and he has the same exact philosophy as you. And uh, he actually consults with uber, uber wealthy people. I'm talking eight figure type wealth and um, his philosophy, and I'm paraphrasing it. So forgive me if somebody fact checks and I'm slightly off here, is that help your kids with bigger experience based things. So say it's having the wedding of their dreams or when they turn 18 you say, you pick a spot in the map and we're going to go there, but it almost does them a disservice if they're either waiting for an inheritance or they just have some fat allowance that they don't have to work for on a daily basis. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said he has seen that be the case time and time again, where there is that middle ground of, um, like again the wealth that you are currently accumulating adam i'm sure you're going to take the girls on some some crazy experiences and fun trips and whatnot um, but it's not necessarily going to be the ultra i mean to quote other people ultra spoiled type route and then people are just basically waiting for adam to kick the bucket so they can get the you know, the, the fat inheritance so i thought that was an interesting take and again i'm sitting here on the sidelines as a non-parent because i do not dare tip my toe in the water of anything parenting related because i do not want to be crucified on the internet but from a from afar i like that that kind of middle ground of using the wealth you accumulate if you want to do something for your kids experience-based monumental almost like life anchors but just being a, an atm yeah i mean teach his own but yeah
0: yeah i mean as a parent of kids i'm more than happy hey, to, yeah like, you have 100... free reign to come at this <laughs> no i'm happy to 100 percent agree with you that um again, this is my parenting, my parents' parenting style in that they always taught me the value of a dollar in that if you want something, go and work for it. We're not going to give it to you. And so I, I kind of wear that as a bit of a badge of honour um, and this is not to throw any mates of mine throughout my life that I've kind of been with, but I've seen many of them who are just, oh, I need this. Oh, mum and dad will buy it and kind of thing. And so they don't really have the value of that dollar as much as I feel those who have been told go and work for it kind of have. But I kind of want to give that kind of same kudos or kind of advice to my um, own kids. But then to full circle to what you're saying is that if I look back to kind of my childhood, the things that I remember most weren't the things that my parents bought me. It was the things I did with them. And like we weren't a wealthy family. We weren't poor. We were middle class kind of family. But we went on two or three major holidays as kids. And they're resoundingly the things I remember most about my childhood it wasn't the fact that my parents may have bought me my Nintendo system kind of thing it was that I went to this trip to Queensland when my grandparents were up there as well and we never got to go on a plane and we got to fly on my first like those things are so rock solid in my mind Mm -hmm. so I kind of take knowledge from that that my kids aren't going to remember the fact that I bought them x y and z they're going to remember the trips we go on to and so actually to say that Amy and I bought ourselves our Christmas, parent, uh, our Christmas present this year that we bought a tent for ourselves. We want to do more camping oh. with the kids next year. And again, I could have bought, it's a very bloody expensive tent. I could have bought the girls <laughs> so many cool things with the money we spent on that tent. But the amount of memories and things we're going to now accumulate over the next coming years from the trips we're going to take from that, that one purchase, that's going to be so many, I think so much more valuable than anything I could have potentially
1: purchase them 100 and actually one random thought not random related thought on um spending slash investing uh, to bring this back to fitness for a second we often talk about other currencies besides cash in terms of you know more confidence higher energy levels etc i think you can also apply that same concept to life when it comes to trips and experiences uh and the example that i heard and i wish i could remember who i'm quoting slash paraphrasing here is um or I'm paraphrasing here, uh, is that when you spend and invest a certain amount of money in that thing, like a camping trip, for example, or like the the trips that your parents took you on, you get a return on an investment that far exceeds the monetary value, especially when you turn that card as much as possible while you're young. Because I think of my... first trip out of the country, I think we've talked about, I went to Peru and I went into the Amazon rainforest. I did that when I was, uh, what I've been like 23, 24 years old. I find a way to bring that up obnoxiously in conversation probably once a week. And I get so much joy from the, I don't know what it was, 2000 bucks I spent start to finish to be in that jungle. And every time I reflect back on or think about that trip with my buddy Malik for, you know God willing, the next 50, 60 years of my life, That is a hugely disproportionate ROI on that monetary investment. Now, that return isn't quantifiable in dollars and cents, Mm -hmm. but I think, you know, the story you just mentioned about, you know, the the holidays you and your family went on when you were younger is a testament to that concept. You just lit up thinking about something you did when you were probably eight years old. I don't know what your parents spent on that trip, but it feels like from afar the value you have then gotten. And obviously there's a level of financial privilege involved in the stuff. And I want to acknowledge that, but the value you get in return for say, biting the bullet on this tent, the girls 20 years from now, remember when dad fell on the lake, when we were doing the hike and like all these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like thinking about it in terms of a non-monetary ROI. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess the last kind of
0: question is centered towards me but i'm going to ask you as well um but it's just kind of like how there's probably two or three that kind of ask similar questions like how are you in the family how are you with regards to this next step in your life and um are you happy with the change in this chapter in your life and so please just indulge me for a second while i kind of just give my two cents but i'd love to kind of see how, how happy you are at the moment and what's going on in your life but um i'll try and condense this as best as i can because um I don't want to kind of draw it out too long, but uh, obviously in July of this year, um, again, we're, we're recording this in December of 2023. So people listening to this in the future of July of 2023, I've always had the thought in my head from a quote from Gary V, who said, always put yourself out of business. Don't let others put you out of business. And I've, I've had that always front of mind in that it kind of means is that evolve and change what you do so you can evolve and change with the world that is around you rather than let the world around you put you out of business or get rid of the job kind of thing. And so I I think I've always been on the right side of history and I guess I'm 20 years into running my own business and so therefore I must have done something right along those ways in that I've evolved I would say probably four or five times in my life and career into different directions. And that's not to say I haven't tried other things and they've failed because I most certainly have. But the big changes and the evolutions I've made have come very considered. There's, I, and Amy knows, and I've shared this with you as well, Amy knows I come home with 13 ideas every single day. And it's, this, oh, yeah. what about this? I'm a, I'm a little puppy that I come home. I've had 10 ideas and it's even more so now that because Amy is away half of the time. She's a week on, week off she just gets an absolute mind dump from me when she comes home. And she's completely cooked. And I love it a bit that she'll sit there and just listen like, all right, Adam, off you go. It's two hours worth of you just going, you know, kind of thing when all she wants to do is just relax. And I mind dump so many of those. But when I'm serious, she knows when I'm serious. Like I've got this really considered idea. I've researched it, I think. And this whole change in July this year was a very considered idea in that my girls are now, going to be both at school as of next year I'm not going to have as much time with them so therefore I got a lot more time for myself and I'm in a very privileged position where I could have just continued doing what I was doing but just watching far more tv and far more time at the beach I can do that because we're in a great position in life where we are right now and my wife earns a very good income and I do quite well on the side kind of thing but I knew myself that I can't just sit and watch TV for eight hours a day. Like I'm, I'm 40 years of age. I might enjoy that when I'm 80, but I'm not at a point where I'm, I am i can't move and kind of can't yeah, do Yeah, not quite so, there. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, well, what am I going to do with my life? And it kind of came back with, I, I do love finances. I do love real estate. And I teetered with the idea of becoming a real estate agent, but here, and I'm pre- I presume it's pretty similar where you guys are as well, in that real estate agents have to give up all their weekends because they're normally showing homes on weekends because it's out of hours. I'm not willing to give up my weekends because that's my time with my girls, especially when they're moving into school all week. The only time I'm going to get to really see them is on the weekends kind of thing. So, okay, that's not going to work. One of my best mates is an owner and director of a, a mortgage-broking company in Melbourne. So I reached out to him and said, look, if I'm not going to become a real estate agent, what's a realistic view of me coming a broker, like how easy is it to kind of shift into that space? And he said, well, you need a qualification to be a broker. Here's a qualification. Go and get that first and let's talk after you've done that. And I did the kind of, you know, research behind it. And there's two levels. There's either just a Cert four, um in mortgage broking or there's a diploma, which is a 12-month kind of thing, um, in finance and mortgage broking management. And I said, okay, if it gives me 12 months, my girls are going to be at school by then. I'm going to do this in six months. And so I said to him, I'm going to get the diploma done. If I get it done by the end of the year, can I have a job in the new year? Kind of thing. He goes, mate, don't, don't rush it. Like you've got 12 months to kind of, nah, if I do something, I'm kind of full into it. So I nailed myself down for the last six months and got it done in four months. So I'm pretty happy with the fact I completed it um, when I did. And so now we're in the process. So I, I now have my, um, I have my diploma. I'm now in the process of kind of getting all the compliance stuff behind with the banks. I have an email now, adam at modernfinancial.com.au is the company I'm going to be working for. Um, And I'm going to start doing all the mentoring stuff that I need to do um, to kind of get fully accredited over the next two years. So that's kind of where I'm at for the next uh, two years. And to kind of then come full circle and answer the question, are you happy? I've not been this excited for a long time. Um, I'm also shit scared just because... I haven't been new at something for a very long time as well. Like I've been in the exercise physiology world and fitness for 20 years. If you came to me and asked me a question around that, like you and I can sit there and easily rack off 10 different things that we kind of know very quickly off the top of our head. Whereas you kind of ask me what's the best mortgage rate, you know, kind of things. I'm like, let me kind of think like, I don't know that just so. And so I'm both excited for that to learn something new, but I'm also really scared to be, New at something again, and I don't know how I'm, and I'm, I'm doubting myself, I'm second guessing myself, and those things do scare me, but they also excite me. And so, to answer that person's question, you know, are you happy? I am happy. Um, I, I wake up, and this is another prime driver for why I want to do this kind of broking, uh, mortgage broking stuff. Is that I wake up in this house every single day and pinch myself that oh my god. I get to live into this dream house of mine. And I worked in we, Amy and I worked incredibly hard to make this a reality. But we get to do this every single day into this dream home. And I'd love to help other people realize that dream if it becomes a goal of theirs. Because if you had asked me two years ago, do you want to own a home? I was like, no, I don't want to own a home. I love the flexibility of renting. And I think far too many people push off renting as a you're paying someone else's mortgage. Yes, you are, but you also have so much more flexibility and more disposable income to invest and travel and do all these other things. But I'm at a stage in my life now where I've got two girls and I want that security in life and that thing that no one can take this away from me unless I stop paying the the repayments on the mortgage. This is mine forever. I can't be kicked out. The landlord can't decide to sell it and we have to move or decide to put the rent up so much that we can't afford it anymore. All of those things that I didn't care about years ago that I do now. And so if investing in property or owning property um, as your own primary place of residence is something that you are thinking about doing, and this does sound like a sales pitch, but I don't mean it to. That's, well. something, yeah. that's something I'm very interested in helping people achieve because it's not as unachievable as the media and people have been led or are believing it is owning property it is an expense and it is um difficult you can't just decide tomorrow i'm gonna buy a house kind of thing there are things that you need to do and put in place but it's not as unachievable as people think it is and i'd love to help people um achieve that dream if it is um their dream and that's what excites me most and so i look forward to what the next kind of, I'd say five years looks like, because that's going to be a really steep learning curve. I think over the next kind of two to five years, um, post five years, I don't know what that kind of looks like and where we're going to be. Um, but Amy and I have some really audacious goals um, to get this house that we're in paid off in the next eight years. Um, you know, most people know mortgages are usually 30 years kind of thing, um, but we hope to pay it off in eight years. Um, means we're going to have to kind of relay it back into the fitness space. We're going to have to make sacrifices that, you know, I can't go out for the social gathering on a Saturday night and eat whatever I want, because that might be against my fitness goals. Same thing. We're not going to be able to go on the holidays that we once, you know, kind of thought that we could and whatnot, but it's only for a short amount of time, like eight years. Like it sounds like a long time, but I think about where I was eight years ago. It was a very short time ago kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, we hope to do that and then we're going to have much more flexibility in our life beyond that. So Again, I say all of that to hope that I can help people achieve that and realize that you don't have to be kind of held down by a mortgage or by owning property, that it is an achievable thing to do and it can enrich your life and make um, your life better. However, you want to kind of quantify better, but can make your life better. um, And yeah, hopefully we can uh, make that happen for people. So that's where I'm at.
1: I love that. I'm super excited for you. And I will say as your friend, you know, to speak to the fear that you mentioned with trying something new in this transition, being in business for over 20 years in developing the, you know, clientele you have, the expertise, the knowledge, the trust, the success you had, does not, this will sound so painfully cliche and obvious, uh, obvious, but does not happen by accident. You know what I mean? In terms of just your competence and your work ethic and your professionalism. And I, I say all that to say that fitness X's and O's aside, all of the contributing factors to your business success for over two fucking decades are directly applicable to this new venture. Now, again, the specific knowledge, like the exercise physiology versus the best rates and the best mortgages, that stuff will come. But you know, from my vantage point, there's absolutely no reason why you're not going to end up in the same exact, whatever the, the fitness business equivalent is <laughs> in this world, because all of the things that have... I say it like it's external. All the things that you have done to put yourself in a position to exceed for over two decades, you'll apply the same things here. So I have I've complete and utter confidence in you. So don't fucking let me down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: no, and I, I appreciate that coming in. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to let anyone down. And you know, you're obviously being, you know, a, a close friend. Mean, I call you a very close friend these by days. By the way, I
1: don't mean, I don't mean that at all. I have complete faith in your ability to succeed. By the way, no, but even, no even so, like I, yeah. I
0: don't want to let you or people down around me because um, I, I want to show that, because I think so many people in life, and this kind of comes back to I've made five or six considered changes and moves in my life. I think far too many people just go, no, nah, this is good enough kind of thing. And just get in this rut that they find themselves at age 50 going, I hate what I'm doing here, but oh, I'm 50. I'm almost at the end. So what's the point in changing? Like I could have very easily just done that. Like I'm 40. I could have just kept on going, doing what I do do for another 20 years and go, I had a pretty good life. Yeah, there were some things I didn't enjoy, but so be it. I just want people to kind of like, I want to succeed to also show people that you can change that 40, 50, even 60 years of age, you're not too late to make big drastic changes in your life, that they can also be successful and make your life the fulfilling journey that you always wanted it to be. And even if this doesn't, work out like it's not what I thought it would be and I go down a different route I don't mind but I want people to kind of have that confidence that I just I get so frustrated and it's not to kind of point fingers but I just get so so frustrated at people who will complain all day but do nothing about it and I know change is difficult I know change is hard and again I'm being completely honest that I am shit scared about this change like I don't know what's going to happen next year and how this is going to work out and I love your confidence in my ability to make it work regardless. But that doesn't mean I still don't have those kind of insecurities kind of wrapping around in my head. Everyone does. But I I think the, the, the thought of regretting, like, at age 70, like, oh, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I try? That scares me so much more than the thought of making a complete change in my life trajectory as it is um, right now. And so... Yeah, if there's any advice that can be taken from that is that if you find yourself sitting there wallowing and complaining and making all these things of like I don't like where I'm at, you got to make a change. Like, how you go about that is completely personal to each person, and how you and again, I know I'm in a privileged position that I have a wife who earns an income that I, I can make these without the kind of knowledge that shit. If I don't make this work, we're pretty screwed here. I understand that privilege, but what's the alternative to sit there and continue to complain and worry about it. I I just can't do that. And so, um, yeah, if that gives confidence to other people to change their life, then henceforth go, you know, do it, make that change. Cause yeah, a life with regret I think is the worst life you can live. So don't live a life with regret or as minimal regrets as you possibly can.
1: I don't dare add anything to that beautiful soliloquy, Adam, that you explained that purposely. I'm not touching that. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, we've been talking for two hours and 18 minutes. So if anyone is still with us, I appreciate them hanging on. But again, um, I love these chats. And is this a return to my podcast? I can't say yes, no, or indifferent, but I can say this. I'll give people a little bit of a tidbit. I am starting a brand new podcast next year. I think I want to call it something like the interest point because it's going to have the relation of interest rates and things like that. It's going to be only finance related content. It's, it's, I'm going down that route. And so whether it's a weekly one, a daily one, a monthly one, a fortnight, I don't know. And I'm not gonna to commit to anything, but there will be that coming out. I understand some people don't wanna to listen to it. That's completely fine, but I need it to kind of uh, educate myself. I think me talking honestly and having to research things and talk, it's gonna help me. And I think if it helps me understand that better, I can then be a better practitioner as a broker but also I hope that the information helps people. So that's where it's going to be. Um, if, if you think you're going to come to it and I'm going to be this eloquently spoken finance guru, like a, you know, a Warren Buffett or something like that, please don't listen to the podcast because that's not what it's going to be. But if you want to hear a guy stumble his way into hopefully understanding this world of finance and broking a little bit better and that you pull some information from it, then I hope that uh, people do listen in and they find something from it. So that is coming. And I think it's going to be called, yeah, the interest point or something along that. Maybe you've got, you've, you've got a better mind for kind of uh, what we, <laughs> we, we were talking about kind of my business name or the thing. Uh, what was the word you used? I, I um,
1: said, so, I said some ridiculous stuff, but I I, I do like word plays. So right? Yeah. That's yeah.
0: yeah. So maybe you've got a better way of uh, the interest point. Maybe you've got a better one, but, um, but yeah, mate, as always, I appreciate your time. I know. I've taken two and a half hours of your time, but I appreciate the catch up. And the it's chat. my
1: pleasure. It's actually on a similar note to what we had mentioned to the person who very kindly asked about our friendliness. I truly consider it like an absolute honor and a privilege that you would want to spend two plus hours of your time, you know, just talking shit with me and talking about different life topics and kind of seeing what's going on. So uh, I, I mean it to go back to what I said at the beginning of this conversation, a lot of the quote-unquote success that I've had whether it's you know appearing in other podcasts or doing my own and just you know fitness business and life stuff in general I can attribute to you in many ways so yeah it's an absolute honor and a privilege to be here always
0: I appreciate that man. And, um, I mean it was solidified even more so when you came on that retreat I know I don't know if you were a bit nervous but I certainly was a bit nervous like, uh, we've had this relationship online i wonder if we're going to get along when we get... but it was yeah. absolutely solidified when we kind of got in front of each other like oh you're exactly as i thought you would but yeah you know, there wasn't yep. anything weird about it kind of thing so
1: no no no. i feel like six minutes in it just felt like not that we were friends from the past but that you were a lifelong friend that i just hadn't seen in a while so i was like oh shit the no breakfast guys here in the airport cool <laughs> and then six minutes later you know it's me you and tom just talking about Tim Tams and travel and family and life stuff, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, these are my old mates, Tom and Adam, we grew up yeah. together. <laughs> like, Yep. Um, awesome. But yeah, no, it was, it was wonderful. But I, again, I do appreciate this. Oh, I wish you every success, uh, obviously into the new
0: year. And um, let me just ask you one final question. I know you kind of skirted around it, but is new, like, if, if you had to answer the question now, are you staying in New York next year or uh, are you moving again? Like, I, head, I like, point
1: that gun to my own head yeah. basically every day. Like, all right, Sam, you have to decide right now. Um, before, you answer answer, should... I, yes. sorry,
0: before you answer it, I only ask it purely because obviously I just talked about myself and my life kind of going just to kind of ask you kind of what's next year and the next couple of years look like for you. Like, Are you just hitting repeat on what you're doing and adding more service and more value to kind of what you're doing currently? Or are you looking to change things up? Will a, will a location change, make that change in what you deliver more likely um, likely to happen or staying where you are is to like, yeah, what does kind of the next 12 to 24 months kind of look like for you?
1: That's a great question. I'll make every effort to keep this brief. Um, earlier in this conversation, I mentioned an arrival fallacy that I'll be happy when, you know, as soon as I do X that things will be better, yada, yada, yada. Something that I have been thinking more and more about and challenging from like a place of personal development, is if i'm almost not that i'm unhappy but am i kicking that can down the road to some degree and placing my happiness in all of these moves that i make and don't get me wrong i absolutely love all the places that i've lived and the things that i've done etc but again am i falling into that trap of oh i'll be happy when or i could i, I joke about it but, oh i could see myself living in rome and then oh, it would be wonderful to actually head back to australia for an extended period of time um, there's uh, a quote, again, I wish I could remember who I'm getting these <laughs> these, these quotes from. <laughs> I heard recently that uh, it said, if you take your personal problems and turmoils, etc., and you go see, let's say some ancient ruins in, um, say, in Italy, for just use that example, you are effectively taking ruins, so the mental stuff, to ruins. So basically avoid that trap of taking ruins to ruins and kicking the happiness can down the road and always placing it in a future situation, whether that is a location change, whether it's a new job, whether it's new circumstances, rather than addressing the right now, your current reality. And again, none of this is to say that I'm, you know, unhappy or unsatisfied, uh, but I do like questioning things and exploring those feelings. So when I read that, I'm like, "Hmm, am I bringing any sort of ruins to ruins or I'll be happier, happier when I'll be more Fulfilled when? um, And then asking and challenging myself, if I stayed in New York, or let's say it was out of my control, Sam, you're staying in New York for the next 10 years, what would I do, if anything, differently on a daily basis to feel happier and more fulfilled? Is there a gap between what I would do and that situation, what I'm currently doing? And then if so, I need to address that. So I know that was a little philosophical and not necessarily super specific, but I'll leave it at that for the sake of the two and a half hour conversation that maybe somebody's still around for. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, I appreciate it, man. And um as always, uh, you know, just shout your um into I mean, most people know me, know you, but yeah, just for people if they want to they've listened to enjoyed yourself, yeah. where are you at, In- right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Instagram is, um, sorry to cut you off, uh, at Coach Sam Forget, but my website is definitely the the best home base, which is just samforge.com because that has old podcast episodes, articles, free guides, you name it, all that stuff is on the site.
0: Awesome. Well, mate, as always, it's been a pleasure to chat and catch up. And guys, I can't say I'll see you next week, but uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Uh, love you all. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.